When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, uh, we begin today with a story that seems to be the big story every day, which is the crime problem in New York, as it is in so many American cities around the country, is just out of control. And it is my uh, duty to tell you about a story that is sad but could have been Tragic, And uh, we begin with some news that broke just a couple hours ago. Breaking news, WABC. An NYPD police officer and an armed teen were both shot in the Belmont section of the Bronx around 930. Evidently, uh, the uh, cop and the teen were tussling and there were no shots fired by the police officer, but at least one bullet was shot from the teenager's gun amidst the chaos. It grazed the police officer in the left shin, and it hit the 16-year-old in the foot. The officer, again, didn't fire his gun. Thankfully, it appears that the injuries sustained by the police officer and the teen, for what it's worth, were described by sources as not serious. So... Uh, The teen was, not surprisingly, this should come as a surprise to no one, out on probation for a May 2020 gun bust when he was just 14 years old. He was arrested outside a building in the Bronx with a semi-automatic handgun. Imagine that. The youth of tomorrow, right, carrying around a semi-automatic handgun at 14 years old. The police officer, I don't have his name yet. We will bring that to you as if, if we get it while we're on the air here. The police officer has been with the department for three years, and he and the suspect were both taken to area hospitals. Uh, Mayor Adams, along with the police commissioner and the PBA president, Pat Lynch, they all spoke at the scene of the shooting, and they expressed a great deal of discontent over the prevalence of firearms on city streets. Here was the mayor, Eric Adams. Clear signal on the streets that it is all right to carry a gun in the city of New York. He was arrested at 14 years old for being in possession of a gun. At 16, he's arrested again, and this time he discharged the gun. What is it going to take? What is it going to take before we finally realize that we are endangering the lives of children 
by allowing children to carry guns that they are using on children. Well, look, uh, the mayor is absolutely right here that the problem is everybody's got a gun, seemingly. Every teenager in every rough neighborhood is carrying a gun. But the mayor is wrong when he says we are allowing children to carry guns. We're not allowing children to carry guns. It's prohibited for them to carry illegal guns. So the, the question then becomes, why are so many teenagers carrying weapons? And really, this goes to what happened in New York City eight years ago with the decision by Mayor de Blasio to significantly reduce the use of stop, question, and frisk as a result in part of a judge's order, which Mayor de Blasio did not appeal, we saw the behavior of a lot of these youthful miscreants change. Years ago, prior to eight years ago specifically, there was knowledge that if you brought a gun out to the street, there was a pretty good chance that a police officer was going to catch you with that gun. Now, there's a knowledge with no stop, question, and frisk that there's less likelihood that they're going to catch you with that gun. So what happens then? In areas where there are where there's a lot of gang activity and even the youthful uh, step-cousin to the gang, the crew... You have these situations where people are carrying guns and they have these underworld rivals that are concerned about coming across a rival gang member or a rival crew member who's armed. So what do they do? They also carry a gun. And that dramatically escalates the potential that there's going to be an armed conflict. See, it used to be if there were two gang members or two crew members that get into a beef on the street... They would have to go home, get that gun, and then go find the person that they have the beef with. And those two steps, the one, the act of going home, and two, the act of re-engaging that person, that, believe it or not, just those two steps led to a significant reduction in shootings because it was sort of a natural cool-down period. As you go home to get your gun, you think to yourself, okay, do I really want to risk a gun arrest for this? Do I really want to be shot for this? And then as you go and search the streets, you know, it has a natural cooling off period. Now, with everybody carrying a gun seemingly, what do you see? You see more shootings. And in this case, a police officer was shot. Thankfully, it does not seem that his injuries were too serious. But uh, Adams is uh, exactly right in that we need to do something to get guns off the streets. My police commissioner is putting all the methodologies that are needed, all of the police personnel on the ground, coordinating with the right plan. But there's one thing we need. We need help. We need help. We need our lawmakers to look at this and the overproliferation of guns in our community We need them to look at the energy that's out there that say it's okay to carry a gun. And then when we make good arrests like this, we need to make sure they're prosecuted. 
Well, he's exactly right there. He will get no argument from me. Uh, finally, the last piece of audio I'll play from, and this was just about an hour ago the mayor was speaking, so this is brand spanking new. The, you, you may, the papers may not even have these stories yet. Uh, the mayor promised to make the city safe in light of this Bronx shooting. One officer shot is one officer too many. One civilian shot is one civilian too many. Our city must be safe. That's the promise I made, and that's the promise I'm going to keep. I hope he's able to keep it, and uh, hopefully the mayor is aware of the severity of the crisis that we're experiencing. Every measurable crime category, including violent crime, with the exception of murder, is up significantly from last year and up from two years ago. And up from three years ago. So we are trending in the wrong direction, even though it's only the first couple of weeks of the new year. Now, uh, you can comment on that, 800-848-WABC. We're sending our best wishes to the police officer. And this could have been a lot worse. uh, And uh, thankfully it wasn't, 800-848-9222. Additionally, you know, I'm struck by the fact that this 14-year-old, I'm, I'm trying to think of what I was doing when I was 14. I mean, I was a precocious teen. I was uh, organizing uh, handball tournaments and pro wrestling viewing parties. I certainly was not tr- strolling the streets with a gun. And yet that's what this young man was doing when he was 14. I suspect if you look at this young man's background, there's a tremendous failure of parenting along the way. I would be shocked if this young man came from a uh, a background where he had two attentive, loving, caring parents. That's the advantage that I had uh, that, uh, that I think some people don't. Now, I'm not excusing this behavior by any means, but ultimately, when you're 14 years old and you're already carrying a semi-automatic weapon, you have been failed by a number of the people that have been charged with raising you and supervising you over the years. So I am uh, – and the sad thing is there are so many stories like this. And I I would bet that the next 16-year-old that shoots a cop, and I hope it's not for a long time, will have a similar story to tell. Now, uh, I'll take your calls on this, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC. I do – want to mention another story which I'm sure you found possibly yawn-inducing, which is uh, the least exciting event since your last root canal. The fact that the former mayor of New York City, Bill de Blasio, a man who played an instrumental role in significantly degrading the quality of life in New York City, he had a major announcement yesterday. Did you see this? Did you hear about it? This was a portion of the announcement Mayor de Blasio made on social media yesterday. No, I am not going to be running for governor of New York State, but I am going to devote every fiber of my being to fight inequality in the state of New York. We've got a lot to do together. I'm going to share some more news with you in the days ahead. Well, let's keep this fight going because we've proved change can happen in New York. The mayor... Announcing there, by the way, he is now clearly taking sound production uh, advice and guidance from uh, Ralph from New Jersey. Uh, his uh, his 
audio there was about as intelligible as what we get from Ralph in the Bronx in uh, New Jersey. But the mayor announcing there he will not be running for governor. Clearly, he can read the tea leaves. Uh, the mayor is, uh, I think most people would agree, quite a disappointment as an administrator in government. But he was a very skilled political operative for a long time. And if there's one thing he can do, although you'd never know it from his presidential candidacy, is he can read poll numbers. And uh, seeing the fundraising deficit that he begins with, seeing the polling deficit that he begins with, and seeing that uh, there's already multiple other candidates from uh, from you know his wing of the party being represented, I think it was pretty clear that it, there was no path to victory for him. So the question I'd like to ask you is, what do you think Mayor Bill de Blasio should do next? I've made a short list, but I'd love to hear your suggestions. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. If you want to comment on this police officer shot in the Bronx, if you want to comment, add your two cents on what job you think Mayor de Blasio is well-suited for. And, and you know, again, I'm looking for serious suggestions that we can actually send to him. And you might ask yourself, why would anybody want to help Bill de Blasio? Well, because... The last thing anybody wants is him running for mayor again in four years, right? So if he has a job that's other than being mayor of New York City, then maybe he'll be less likely to do that. And, uh, you know, the mayor, I've met the mayor a couple of times. I don't know him at all. But the mayor's a nice guy, and he's not a dumb guy. So you certainly get the, you get the impression that he's an attentive husband, a decent father, a nice enough guy to have a beer with. And so why shouldn't the guy be able to make a living doing something as long as it's something other than being mayor of New York City? 800-848-9222. Jeff is in Suffolk County. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Frank. Uh, a couple of quick points. You need stop and frisk in the city. I mean, you know, like they said, there's just kids walking around with guns. Well, no I, I said that. Mayor Adams didn't didn't mention stop and frisk at all. Well, at least he's putting the uh, the uh, you know the ununiformed guys back on the street. Right, absolutely. That, that could help a little bit. Absolutely. <laughs> the other point is, is it was an old rule. I mean, if you're caught with a gun, you go to jail. So why is this kid out? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, I know, I know, he was 14 when he was arrested, and I'm sure that played a role in him getting probation. But uh, you wonder how many other people that were arrested. In the last couple of years, and this is less uh, less than two years ago, his gun arrest uh, with a semi-automatic weapon. It's not as if he. It's not <laughs> as if he had a revolver. That's, yeah. that's not a zip gun or anything. Yeah, you know exactly. That's, He's that's... not carrying around a, a cowboy gun. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Drew is in White Plains. Hello, Drew. Hey, how's it going, Frank? Um like I said, he should open up a private equity firm. Where are we talking about the shooter? Are we talking about the shooter here, or, or De Blasio? Oh, De Blasio. Okay, De Blasio. Okay, that focuses on minority businesses. And one thing I want to say, which is interesting about him not running, of course he wasn't going to win. This is something nobody had brought up. His approval rate, which the New York Post said, according to CNN polls, he had a higher approval rate amongst black voters than Kathy Hochul does. So it's very interesting. As bad as the mayor as Bill de Blasio was, I'm going to tell you as a black man, the fact that he gave the Central Park Five that money that Bloomberg held from them 
that community took it very personal. The fact that he patronized a lot of black businesses like Melba's, the fact that he stopped stopping frisk when it was unfairly being used towards minority people, believe it or not, he has a, a he has a, a pretty decent review in these neighborhoods compared to his predecessors because people didn't feel abused. You know what's the biggest complaint I hear about him in my neighborhoods? People didn't like how he handled the Pentaleo situation. That's just being straightforward. People are not going to want to hear it. So I feel like now that he's out of office, he should open up a private equity firm that focuses on minority businesses and developing minority under um, privileged areas. Well, you Why know not? that's what he ran on. Drew, you know the, mm-hmm. the the real reason that Bill de Blasio decided not to run for governor. Oh, he wasn't going to win. No, well, no, no. The real reason he decided not to run for governor is because he was afraid of Harry Wilson. (laughs) That's true. Well, listen, Kathy Hochul's 21 million. I mean, listen, the fact that the Republicans still don't see to run Harry Wilson, cool. Run Lee, run Andrew Giuliani. Lee just posted 8.5. She's almost tripled him. I'm telling you. Yeah, no, look, I agree. It's going to be an interesting race. I will say Drew is right uh, that uh, throughout Mayor de Blasio's tenure, he has remained popular with the black community. That is true. That he, Drew is absolutely right about that. I don't. I think it has less to do with policy and more to do with the fact that um, Mayor de Blasio has had no problem patronizing very and placating different aspects of the black community. I also think the fact that his wife and children are black played a role uh, there. And uh, I think the fact that, um, you know, uh, the, I, so I think that it all plays a role there. So there you go. Drew says de Blasio should run a private equity fund focused on minority businesses. Now, the reason I think that that is a poor choice for him And for anybody else that would deal with him in that area is the mayor has no experience whatsoever in any private sector business. Additionally, if you look at the things that he has run, namely being the New York administrator of HUD in the Clinton years and presiding over New York City budget, uh, the uh, New York City budget for eight years as it ballooned from $70 billion annually to $130 billion annually, he's shown no aptitude at all for running anything or handling finance. So I think that's a very, very poor uh, choice for Bill de Blasio. I'll give you mine, okay? Now, I think we all know that Mayor de Blasio's campaign for president was a disaster. Disaster, right? There were no highlights, with the exception of two. He had two good days. Um, He did an interview with Tucker Carlson where he came across great. If you like his messaging, he came across great. And he held his own with Tucker, who was a tough interviewer. They were on for about a half hour. And he did a very good interview with Sean Hannity. And, again, they mixed it up. Hannity was a good uh, spokesman for his corner of the world. de Blasio was a good spokesperson for his ideology. And this is, if, if de Blasio was looking for my advice, which he's certainly not, the best job that Bill de Blasio could seek right now, and I think it's something he would do really well at, and I mean this sincerely, it's not shtick. The mayor, the former mayor, should seek to be a liberal pundit 
on Fox News. And he is so good at mixing it up and and making conversation and debating politics. The mayor's not good at actually doing anything, but he's great at talking about doing things. So you know how they have like the designated liberal on various Fox News shows where they have like seven conservatives gang up on one liberal. He can be the one liberal that they gang up on. Like on shows like The Five or it's kind of like Alan Combs used to be or Juan Williams is to some extent. He goes on uh, picture. He goes on Hannity. He goes on Tucker. Goes on all these shows on both Fox Business and Fox News, and he's the designated liberal punching bag. And I think he would enjoy it. I think he'd be good at it, and I think he could make a decent amount of money. He could make probably almost as much as he's making as mayor. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Pablo in Brooklyn. What should Mayor De Blasio do next? Well, he should count maybe. Uh... Count the billion dollars that him and Charlene stole. That would be the first thing. Second thing is maybe uh, go over and work with a contractor for the housing authority and start cleaning up the lead that he said never existed in the housing authority. And then uh, just to add, you say black voters voted for him or supported him, and I don't see why, after all the disrespect that he has shown him, <clears throat> shown the black community, uh, you know, since he's been in politics, uh, you know, like I said, just the first uh, the housing thing with the uh, with the lead that he actually had the paperwork signed that there's no lead in the housing. How many people have been killed? Yeah, How well, many a, of the mentally deranged on the street were in those projects at one time? Well, I gave you my take as to why I think he's still popular among certain segments of the black community. Uh, number two is uh, the. The, I don't think you're offering sincere suggestions because if he couldn't fix public housing as mayor, I think he has very little likelihood of being able to do it as a private citizen and a private contractor. And um, I'll just say – so we're looking for serious suggestions here. Like mine was a serious suggestion. Drew was a serious suggestion. You don't need to call up and say, oh, the mayor's next job should be to take a long walk off a uh, short pier. You don't need to say that. We We, we get it. We get it, right? So – Serious, constructive suggestions, 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Gracie is in Rockland County. Hello there, Gracie. Hello. Listen, he could uh, he could run two, two things, borough president of Brooklyn. He'll win there. Or he could go down to um, Washington, D.C. and run there. And I think he could run anywhere in New York State. Well, I really mean that he's a D in front of his name. Yeah, but he's got to get that nomination uh, first. That's the thing, and I think that's the reason that he didn't, um, you know, that he didn't run for governor because he was unlikely to get that nomination. As far as as far as running for borough president, Brooklyn goes. They just elected one last year, so that job's not open for probably uh, another three years or so, three and a half years. I was surprised his wife didn't run for Brooklyn borough president because that is. Almost a perfect job for her. It's largely ceremonial. You don't have to do much. Nobody blames you when things go wrong. You appear at the ribbon cuttings of the things that you like. You use the bully pulpit of your office to tout issues that, you, uh, that you're about. You have very little ability to affect change. That would have been a perfect job for her. I was surprised that she didn't run. I, I actually was. 800 We're going to get into some other issues as well. In the meantime... 
if you're looking for some help with your digestive system, you really need to think about GetTheTea.com. GetTheTea.com is a website, but it's so much more than that. It's a portal to better health, better energy, better digestion. GetTheTea.com is where you can purchase Life Change Tea. Life Change Tea is a gentle daily cleanse that tastes great and works to get things moving. It's no secret that stress can wreak havoc on our digestive tract, and if you're feeling stopped up and bloated, that's never a good thing. Life Change Tea is all-natural and non-GMO. One package will last you an entire month. Life Change Tea is only available by logging on to the website getthetea.com. That's getthetea.com. You can use the promo code FRANK for free shipping. That's promo code FRANK. While you're there, check out all the other products designed for your optimum health. I think my wife ordered a sleep aid on there yesterday uh, using the promo code FRANK. And you know what? She got the free shipping as well. So don't miss out. Life Change Tea at GetTheTea.com. It is the tea that makes you go. W-A-B-C. this song i discovered this song two weeks ago i can't stop singing it i find this so incredibly catchy it's called family by the interrupters i love the lyrics i love the beat i love the message it's great listen to this i got a sister named carol she wears my old apparel this song so much and i don't know anything about this group the interrupters but you know we have this whole big stage 77 and we use it for debates and we use it from when we have these special round tables like on martin luther king day and russian independence day they want us to maybe think about in the future start doing either the whole show from there or an hour or two as we start doing a video stream of this show and uh I thought it would be fun to try and... I don't know anything about the Interrupters, where they're located or anything like that, um, other than that I, I like their music. This is my favorite song, but I've discovered a couple of their other songs that are decent. But I thought it might be fun to try and get the Interrupters to perform in studio at Stage 77, uh, this song and a couple of others. It's really... I find it so catchy. All right. Now, I am not a big soda drinker. That is the God's honest truth. I, uh, I've recently started experimenting with Zevia, which is a calorie-free soda that has no artificial sweeteners, but is quite flavorful. It's really good, and they're not a sponsor of this show or anything. Even diet soda, uh, it's, it's not good for you, and if you can live the rest of your life without drinking any soda, you're better off. And, in fact, aside from all the sodium that diet soda has, there are actually a lot of studies that suggest Diet soda actually leads to weight gain because when you have a zero-calorie sweetener, 
your your brain and your body when it, your tongue tastes something sweet, your body prepares for an intake of calories because what always used to happen evolutionarily is that was the body's way of, okay, fruit, that's going to be a lot of calories coming in, and that's going to be our way. We're gonna, we know so there's some energy coming. So when, you're, when your body drinks or tastes something sweet and then it doesn't get any um, calories – it, it's confused, and it actually makes you crave more calories. And I know it sounds weird, but there are actually a lot of studies that suggest that's the truth. However, um, one of the sodas other than Tab, which I loved, which uh, was discontinued, but my friend Arthur Idala sent me a case of it uh, or a box of it, like a 12-pack, before they discontinued it, and I've been parceling it out on special occasions. I had one can uh, with my friend Brian Silverstein after my son was born. I'm treating this these last 10 cans that I have almost like uh, like the, the last 10 cans of Don Perignon. But they, so Tab is out. One soda that I've always enjoyed is a soda called Fresca. And Fresca's actually been experimenting with mineral waters and things of that nature as well. But Fresca is a grapefruit-flavored soda. That's kind of always been their brand. I, I like it. I used to like it as a kid before you were 21. You pour it in a champagne flute. and It's almost like you're drinking a nice glass of champagne. It, it was bubbly. It, was, uh, it, it tasted light. It was refreshing. It wasn't too sweet. It had that grapefruit taste. Now... Coca-Cola, which owns Fresca, is tapping into the canned cocktail craze with, believe it or not, a boozy version of Fresca. I can't wait to try this. Boozy Fresca. They're launching this uh, because Fresca is now experiencing a surge in popularity because uh, it's 64 years old, Fresca. And now they don't know. uh, They haven't said what um, what kind of boozy drink the alcoholic fresco will be. But I will tell you, I'm going to try it. I know a lot of people are doing the uh, dry January right now. I know a lot of folks do that. My friend Jennifer Sabetti used to do that. And uh, my brother Nicholas and his fiancée, Kat, are doing that. I wa- I'm not doing it because I generally give up booze uh, during Lent. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's kind of my way of giving my body a, a break from alcohol for 40 days. But there was an interesting column in the New York Post, and I have to I have to say it's the kind of thing that I should have thought about but didn't. It's a column by Johnny Oleksinski in yesterday's New York Post. Had dry January is pure evil to bars reeling from COVID. Um, and he writes... Dry January? You've got to be kidding me. The annual month of self-righteous sobriety in which mostly young people go cold turkey on booze for four weeks and lord it over their non-sober pals only to immediately hop off the wagon on February 1st is mildly annoying in a normal year. But this year, it's a wholly selfish endeavor that's a slap in the face to struggling bars and restaurants that have suffered a seemingly unending bout of COVID-19. Fellow New Yorkers, this January, I urge you to quash your inner Gwyneth Paltrow 
put down the green juice and put on something other than cashmere joggers. Hit your local watering hole and order up. And then he talks to all these bartenders and all these bar owners that have talked about how they've really struggled to make ends meet. One poll estimates that nearly 20% of adult Americans are participating in dry January this year. Um, That's significant. One bartender estimated she lost about $3,000 in income over the past two months, initially due to the Omicron surge, and now the deadly new variant of of this virus called dry January. So these temporary health nuts are turning beloved bars into wastelands at a moment in history in which there's never been more reasons to drink. I got to tell you, I found this column incredibly persuasive. I emailed it to my brother, and now I'm starting to rethink giving up booze for Lent because I don't want to contribute to the economic decline of New York small business owners. And I'll tell you, I, I am a, I'm a regular patron of bars. So, and you know what? He's right. Even when it's a normal year, it is a little annoying to hear all these self-righteous dry January people. It is. It is. I, I don't know what the solution is because I don't want to encourage people to keep drinking. If you could do without drinking for a while, I, I, I suppose that's better for your health for a whole host of reasons. But... I really was persuaded by this Johnny Oleksinski uh, column in the New York Post. If you haven't read it, I'm going to link to it right now uh, on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Fan. That's facebook.com slash Fan. And uh, Marshall Masters is going to be here at 2.30. We're going to talk about this underwater volcano that took place in Tonga and why it could be the first of many significant geological events that we see this year. We'll, we'll discuss it. Additionally, I would love to hear your suggestions on what Mayor Bill de Blasio's next job should be. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Linda is on Long Island. Hello, Linda. Yes. Hi, Frank. Hi. The important thing to consider is what is he really good at? He could sell French fries. <laughs> he goes, mmm, this is really good. How do, you like, how do you like that suggestion? That's not bad, Linda. That's not bad. So that, But Linda, I know she was not offering a sincere suggestion, but she, she does offer a good way to think about this. What is the mayor really good at? The mayor's good at talking. So he could be a liberal pundit on Fox News I I I initially was thinking that he would be good as the host of a podcast, but upon thinking about that more, I've decided he wouldn't be because he's really good when he interacts with people. He's not great when it's just him monologuing. So I, I fear that a de Blasio podcast would basically become as br- as boring as Mario Cuomo's radio show. Do you remember Mario Cuomo's radio show? It was on this station on the weekends, and I listened to it because I thought Mario was going to do well because he was this brilliant orator, a great speaker, 
uh, a, certainly a smart guy with a lot of experience who could offer a behind-the-scenes in, insider's view of what was happening. And he was terrible. It was one of the worst radio shows ever because he was boring and pompous. And I think de Blasio has a little bit of that Mario Cuomo-esque pomposity. So I don't think he could do well just doing a podcast by himself. I think he's got to talk with people. That's why he'd be so good mixing it up with a with conservatives uh, on a cable news network like Fox News or Newsmax. I don't think he would go on Newsmax or as a regular, but I think he would do it for Fox. And I think he'd be good at that because it, he shows a little bit more energy when he's arguing with people as opposed to when he's just monologuing. He could also be a professor. Right. And pontificate. He could teach political campaign management at New York University. That's about or he could go back to his old job running political campaigns. He could certainly be a lobbyist, uh, which is it's a little undignified for the former mayor, but he could do that. It's a good way to make some money. Certainly got the connections or, you know, um, I don't think the Biden White House has any reason to do him any favors, but he could be an ambassador. You know, he speaks decent Italian. Uh, he certainly has a fondness for countries like Nicaragua and Cuba. He could be an ambassador. You don't have to do anything as an ambassador. You get a decent salary. You have uh, people salute you wherever you go. You get the title of ambassador. That's all he really wants. So I can see that being something for him. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let me say hello to... Uh, Big Julie in Brooklyn. Hello, Big Julie. Good morning, uh, Frankie. Um, may I speak on that gun situation with the young people here, if I may? I spoke to you guys. Listen, this suggestion, I think, if the mayor is listening and, and he knows about it, too. We have a vehicle that can go around and scan the crowd to see if you're carrying a weapon. Let's get it out there. And especially for young people, if they don't want to charge anybody with a weapon, a young person, even if they got a rap sheet, forget about the rap sheet, get the guns off the streets, and put them through a scared, straight program. And if that don't scare them, they get pinched again, pick them up, and make it a little harder time and a fine, but get them through a scared, straight program. Do you know how many people I know that were in prison and met a lot of young people? who said they didn't know that prison was like this because of the music that they listened to. But I think that scanning vehicle would be a great thing to use. Remove the guns, put them through a scared straight program, and let's get the guns off the street and forget about whatever they had in the rap sheet. And if they get pinched again, we give them a little harder time and let them know what it's like. Well, two things, Big Julie. Uh, one, I agree with you. If you get pinched again, give them a little bit of a harder time. But there's two things. One... In terms of uh, uh, gun firing detection, we actually have that. It's called, it's not a vehicle, but it's something called Shot Spotter. Shot Spotter immediately detects the sound of a gun and immediately dispatches police to that area. Um, and it's worked really well. It's really, uh, it worked really well. Interestingly enough, what he mentions, um, the Scared Straight program. Well, believe it or not, the Scared Straight program, you ever wonder why they did away with it? They did away with it because it didn't work. 
they found that kids who went through the Scared Straight program actually were more likely to commit crimes than kids that didn't. So that's the only reason they did away with it, because it was very good television to hear these people that were serving triple life sentences kind of yell at these kids and tell you, oh, don't end up like me. But the data suggests definitively that scared straight programs did not stop young people from going on to become criminals. They don't work. They don't work. 800-848-WABC. Mike is in Bayside. Hello, Mike. Hey, Frank. Um, I thought of three employment opportunities potentially for former Mayor de Blasio. Let's hear them. One would be One would be a doorstop. Oh, that would be a telephone That's not call. a serious suggestion. Well, a used car salesman. Well, no. used car salesman he could do uh, because uh, he does have a way of persuading people to do things that, uh, that he doesn't want to do. Joe is in Manhattan. Hello, Joe. Hello. Hello. Hi there. Uh, uh, that was not bad, by the way. What was Listen, Frank, uh, whatever, I don't want to mention it, then it might damage, you know, uh, the, the WABC's uh, techniques, etc., of taking calls and so forth. So I'm not going to mention it. Uh, you know, I'll mention it to the screener. All right, regarding Blasio, uh, that's a great idea in uh, a way whereby if WABC hires him as a talk radio host, what will happen? He would attract the left, you know, uh, people on the left, uh, listeners, and that way they would also listen to the right. The majority of hosts are to the right, you know, and hence boost the chances of Republicans winning the next elections. Because right now, uh, it's all, uh, you know, uh, the vast majority, I would say about 99% of listeners are Republican, pro-Republican. But if we have Blasio, right, as a host, he would attract people to the left and hence boost overall, uh, in the end, uh, uh, you know, the chances of Republicans winning elections. Yeah, I, here's where I think your rationale is flawed, Joe. I think you assume people will listen to somebody just because of their political ideology. And as I explained, that's not the case. We saw that with Mario Cuomo. Mario Cuomo was a liberal icon and a complete failure as radio as a radio talk show host. You know why? Because he didn't know how to do radio. Radio is no less a craft than acting or writing or anything else for that matter. So you can't just pluck someone and say, oh, I like this person's politics. Uh, he'll help us get left-wing people and, and insert them into a field that they have no experience in and think that that person is going to do well. It doesn't work. I'm all for giving left-of-center radio talk show people an opportunity uh, to do well. Uh, I think uh, I think Juliet Huddy was was very good on the radio. Richard Bay, there's nobody better than Richard Bay on the radio. Jay Diamond is the probably the greatest radio talk talent of all time. Brian Whitman is a great radio talk talent. You have to know how to do radio. If you take someone who's had success in another field and you just plunk them down into a radio show, usually it doesn't work. Sometimes it does. It worked for Ed Koch. Usually it does not as was the case with Mario Cuomo and, and many others, many others. 
But uh, so I don't think de Blasio would do well on the radio because he has no idea how to do it. And it's not something you could just pick up when you're 60. It takes years of working at it. And you, otherwise, you end up with like a David Lee Roth situation. Howard Stern, most listened to radio personality of all time. They he had a very successful morning show on WXRK in New York. He goes to Satellite and they gave a show to somebody that's never done radio before. And you saw how that worked out. You really need somebody with, I think, a uh, at least some experience. 800-848-WABC. Uh, that's 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your calls in just a minute. Uh, still to come, we'll talk about that underwater volcano. And, uh, hey, you know what? Uh, and if you want to comment on Fresca or Dry January... You're, you're welcome to do that as well. You know what I'm really annoyed with? I really have to tell you, I am so annoyed with whatever party is in power going after the opposition with various investigations. You're seeing it now in Washington, D.C. with the uh, January 6th commission. Now they've subpoenaed Rudy Giuliani. Now, we know how this is going to go. Uh, and uh, they're going to uh, – Giuliani will fight the subpoena. He'll, he'll move to quash the subpoena. The courts will rule one way or another. If they rule, he does get the subpoena. He'll go and claim attorney-client privilege. They're not going to get any information out of this. It's all just theater. Is this really the most productive use of Congress's time right now? And the Republicans did the same thing to Obama. You remember the, ni- the 19 different investigations into Benghazi and Solyndra and Fast and Furious and the IRS scandal? Uh, now in New York, and this broke just about uh, – this is breaking news that broke um, – just about an hour ago, the New York Attorney General, Letitia James, has released new details of her investigation into Donald Trump as she filed uh, something at midnight where she has argued for the need to question Donald Trump and two of his children under oath. Now, this almost strikes me as like we're living in a banana republic. Whoever gets elected, the first thing they do is try to throw the opposition party in jail. This is what they do in Ukraine. This is what they do in Russia. This is what they do in uh, places like Brazil. It's not what we should do in America you should, you ha- or in New York State. You have elections. Whoever wins, wins. Go on and govern. Don't spend all this time just looking to play gotcha and jam up the other side politically. Move on for the sake of the country. 800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. I took my troubles down to Madden Ruth. You know that gypsy with a gold cap too. She's got a hat on 34th and This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, 800-848-WABC is our telephone number. If you would like to comment, I'll get to your calls in just a second. 
I will say, uh, if you want to email me, you could do so, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. So my schedule when I uh, get home is usually I'll spend a couple of hours relieving my wife, looking after uh, our child if he needs to be fed or changed or whatever the case may be. And then uh, I will uh, get to sleep as soon as she wakes up from that mid-morning nap. So that has meant generally that I'm getting to sleep later. I used to be able to get to sleep 6.30, 7 o'clock. And now I'm getting to sleep at 10, 10.30. And that has led me to sleeping later. And I got to tell you, when I wake up later in the day, today I think it was 4.30. You feel like the whole day is just gone, right? And um, it's this mad dash to get things done, mostly related to the show, but also related to other things. And one of the things that has been puzzling to me is the garbage collection pickup schedule, because Monday was a holiday, Martin Luther King Jr. Day observed. So Sunday night is when I usually leave for the show and I'll put out the garbage before I uh, before I leave, and the, she, my wife said to me, "You don't have to put out the garbage because it's a holiday," um, and that's what my understanding was. So I didn't put out the garbage Monday Monday, but some of my neighbors did. Monday afternoon, right as I'm starting to wake up, I see them picking up the garbage from the neighbors. And so my understanding was you're always supposed to put the garbage out and they'll take it the next day, Tuesday, if it's a holiday. So I put the garbage out for Tuesday. They didn't take it. I put the recycling out. They didn't take it. So it's still sitting there in front of uh, in front of our house. So my wife said as I was leaving, well, bring the garbage back in. It's clear they're not going to take it. And I was about to do that as I was leaving. And I see, and I said to myself, well, the, the next day that's supposed to come is Thursday. It's really just going to be out for one extra day. So I left it. Because what's the sense in just taking it in for one day if I'm just going to put it right back out for Thursday? So I left it out there. Um, but uh, I, we'll see. I'm sure my wife's listening now and she's already unhappy that I disobeyed her garbage directive. But they're not going to take it Thursday. They're going to take it Friday. Why will they take it Friday? Because they're a day behind. Because I don't know, but, but that's what I'm saying. My neighbors got their garbage picked up on Monday, even though it was a holiday. Yeah, see, that's weird. It is weird. Because of the holiday. I know where I live. It's like that. Like my garbage day. You live in New on, York City? No, in New Jersey. Uh-huh. My garbage well, day. Well, New Jersey is crazy. But it's the same thing. Like the garbage day is Friday or Thursday. And if it's a holiday week. They'll pick it up the next day, which is Friday. Right. Okay. So during so the holiday, they're off for the holiday, and then they resume the schedule. Yeah. See, that's why I'm afraid to take it in because I feel like, at least in New York, um, and you, you have private sanitation in Jersey. No. It's, no. It's, oh, it's the, public. It's, it's the town. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So um, I feel like a lot of sanitation sort of doing their own thing now. So especially when my sleep schedule is kind of erratic these days, I'm hesitant. To, I'm hesitant to bring it in. Let them take it when they take it. Seems like they're on they're on their own schedule. I'll tell you what I have been doing. My car is loaded with stuff, and I have been um, 
on my to-do list, which I has not gotten done for three weeks, has been clean car. Actually, it's more like a month. Clean car. I haven't done it. But what I have been doing is every day that I leave the car and come into the house, I bring in one extra item from the car to sort of relieve the, the load of what's in there because it's just filled with, with clutter. Now, it's tough when I get extra stuff. Like yesterday, Dr. Judy at this time gave me a, a baby present, so that I had, plus a lot of other stuff that I was taking home from here. Um, today I got a couple of books. So I'm adding things to what's in the car, and it really kind of makes it almost like Sisyphus in terms of my car item removal strategy. So um, I don't know. We'll see what happens. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let me say hello to Joanne on Staten Island. Hello, Joanne. All right. Joanne's got her radio on. and She's distracted and not ready. Hopefully Larry in Brooklyn will be a better emblematic caller. Hello, Larry. Yeah, you guessed right, Frank. Um, oh, see, I, see, I can always count on you to be ready, Larry. That's what I like about you. Yeah. Oh, well, I wasn't ready for Dominic. He almost hung up on me, but that's besides the point. I mean, I redeemed the call at the last possible second. Um, but anyway, I really feel in my in my heart of hearts that Mayor de Blasio uh, should deliver pizza on roller skates for DeFaro's Pizza. Well, does DeFaro doesn't do delivery, do they? Yes, they do. Oh, they do. Well, that would actually be the perfect job for him because he loves DeFara, and uh, he they'd probably give him some free pizza or something. And not only that, but you mentioned you, you mentioned something about a professor before, and usually professors have PhD. So I think he should do pizza home delivery because of that. <laughs> well, he does have a master's degree. He, I believe, he does anyway. And uh, again, I'm suggesting not that he teach philosophy or something like that. He could teach. Political campaign management. NYU does have a division which teaches that stuff. I think he might have even gone gone there at some point. 800-848-WABC. Let me say hello to Judy in Westchester. Hello, Judy. Hi. Um, you know what? Uh, when I heard him uh, say that he wasn't running for president, for uh, governor, and he said with such intensity i'm putting every fiber of my body into fighting for equality immediately i knew what he was going to do and that is he's going to be a paid by soros community activist and he will still be stirring the pot and he's going to be making tons of money and um You'll be able to buy that house on Martha's Vineyard. There you go, Judy. Thank you. Not a bad suggestion. It says, I don't know if uh, Soros, if he were to hire him, I don't know what Soros would gain. I don't know what de Blasio really brings to the table. De Blasio has name recognition. He has connections. That's what he has. Now, those are valuable things. Uh, In the media, that's valuable. In lobbying, that's valuable. But um, in terms of actually getting people organized for anything that Soros would want to do, I don't really see what it brings uh, to the table at all. Uh, Hey, um, we're going to we'll cover a wide variety of subjects next hour, including a funny thing happened to America's youth. I'll tell you about it. We'll cover this uh, this situation in Tonga with this underwater volcano and a host of other issues. Until then, in the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population. Make sure you get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. 
This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Other side of midnight, I am Frank Moreno. So it's funny, I recently reread some portions of Rudy Giuliani's book, Leadership, and it's an interesting book, and there's some good stories in there, and some great strategies that, uh, that have to do with, uh, with leadership. And one of the things that he talks about was the first office he was ever elected to. Do you know what it was? He was elected at the age of 21 to be a Democratic Party district leader. And Rudy in the book talks a little bit about his transition from not from one gender to another, but from being a Democrat to Republican. And I've talked to Rudy about this and he writes about this in the book. And essentially, he says a few things. And a lot of it comes down to the Winston Churchill quote that might not have even been said by Winston Churchill, where Churchill said, supposedly, and it may, he might not have said it, but it fits Churchill because Churchill switched parties a couple times, too. If you're not a liberal at 25, you have no heart. If you're not a conservative at 35, you have no brain. And sometimes those ages change, uh, but uh, sometimes they say if you're not liberal at 20, you have no heart. If you're not conservative at 40, you have no brain. And, uh, you, you know, they, they, that happens, right? There's always a little bit of a trend towards the left wing among youth. But an interesting thing has happened. Generation Zers have always been a swing voting group. Always. Sometimes they go Democrat, sometimes they go Republican. But their children, Generation Z, sometimes called Zoomers, which is a nice way to combine Generation Z and Baby Boomers, they overwhelmingly are backing Democrats. Uh, this is uh, the some data from Della Volpe, Uh, They have this article out called Fight, How Generation Z is Channeling Their Fear and Passion to Save America. And they dig into the mindset of these 70 million young Americans born beginning in the mid-1990s. John Della Volpe says generational replacement will not be kind to Trump's Republican Party. He is the polling director at the Harvard Kennedy School Institute of Politics and the CEO of something called Social Sphere. This group of young people, people aged 18 to 29, they are the most diverse and most educated generation in history. They also happen to be the most liberal. 
If you look at the 2020 presidential election, 53% of them voted for the Democratic nominee for president. That is the highest percentage that we've seen since at least 1984. So the in about 40 years, the current group of young people in America is more liberal than ever, than any other group of young people. Now, John Delavolpe, in his work analyzing this, he analyzes five events that shaped the rise of liberal young people. Number one, Occupy Wall Street. Millennial-led discussions about inequality became political drivers as Zoomers became old enough to vote. Number two, Donald Trump. They don't like Donald Trump's style. They don't like his policies. They don't like his politics. Number three, the Parkland high school shooting and the March for Our Lives movement made them very, very pro-gun control and everything that that, that, that comes with it. Number four, Darnella Frazier's use of her iPhone to record the murder of George Floyd. Apparently, for a lot of these young people, seeing George Floyd murdered uh, right in front of them, that drove them to want to do things like rein in the police. And number five, Greta Thunberg's climate strike. So that's what he is saying are the primary reasons that this generation of young people is so overwhelmingly left wing. My question for you is this. Now, we all know you go through different changes uh, in different stages of your life. You are, uh, as you get older, you're more likely to make some money. Maybe you don't want it all taxed. You're also more likely to get married. Being married is something that makes you potentially a little bit more conservative when you start thinking about uh, the security of your family, when you start thinking about property taxes, when you start thinking about job opportunities, when you start thinking about better educational opportunities and uh, not wanting your young person shot by somebody that's carrying a gun and not being arrested. So my first question for you is, do you think this will hold as this young as this group of young voters ages will they stay by and large as liberal as they are now or will we see their politics shift as different things in their lives end up shifting that's my first question for you at 800-848-9222 number 2 is what is there anything that you think Republicans or conservatives or independents can do to reach this voting block, the current group of 18 to 29-year-olds that's now voting 53% Democrat. Now, again, this group always tends to skew somewhat Democrat. In the 2016 presidential election, they voted about 43% Democrat. In the 2012 presidential election, they voted about 41% Democrat. In 2008 with Obama, they voted 48% Democrat. In 2004, uh, it was about 45% Democrat. So they always skew a little bit Democrat. I I think the best that the Republicans did among this group was in 1996, or I don't actually this is just a reflection of how the Democrats did, not necessarily the Republicans. But in 96, they did, they voted about 33 percent Democrat. So is this a trend you think will continue? 
Number one. Number two, what do you think conservatives can do to do a better job reaching out to young people? And do you find that these five events that I just outlined, as uh, expressed by John Della Volpe, are what has driven the current leftward shift of America's youth? Or is generational replacement, as Della Volpe says, something that is not going to be kind to President Trump? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Jerry on Staten Island. Hello, Jerry. Good morning. Good morning. How you doing? Uh, Well, there are various opinions about that. (laughs) Well, I I think... uh, these kids nowadays, they're brainwashed, you know, with social media, uh, what they're taught in schools with CRT, going all the way up through the universities. I, I think we're in big trouble for a while. I think they're brainwashed from the beginning now. We, we got to get, you know, uh, especially social media, big tech, we got to get control of that again, or else this country's doomed. So you think that this is not something that these kids will grow out of? You think this is likely a trend that will stay with them as they enter into mature adulthood? I believe so, because I've been a, a straight, you know, a Republican conservative from day one, as long as I can remember going back to high school. I mean, but I think it, nowadays it's changed. Uh, they're getting brainwashed. You know, they're all addicted to social media. I don't keep one thing of social media. I have nothing to do with social media. I want nothing to do with it. And I just think people are getting brainwashed by it. And Mark Zuckerberg, uh, I hope he, you know, she gets, he ends up tried for treason, for all I know, down the road, because it's terrible what's going on in this country. Is no more fair and independent press. Uh, everything's corrupt. Well, Jerry Trump was right. Yeah, Jerry, thank you. I appreciate that. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. I, uh, I, I, you know, I don't know what the future of America's political spectrum is. You might see a very dynamic conservative or independent candidate that appeals to young people. Andrew Yang, for instance, is somebody that really resonates with young people. If he were to run in 2024, he started this new thing called the Forward Party. If he were to run in 2024, I think he would be able to attract a whole bunch of young people, peel them away from uh, the Democratic sort of uh, coalition and win them over to his candidacy and his causes. I think he could be somebody. I think a lot of it is personality driven. I do believe that Donald Trump has turned off a lot of young people I uh, for a variety of reasons. And I think if there was somebody that could reach back out to those young people, the way Yang, I believe, has the potential to, the way Obama did, the way the, the that Bill Clinton did, then uh, I think you could see I could think you could see these folks migrate back towards the political center. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. We're going to talk with Marshall Masters in just a little while about uh, the situation with this underground volcano in Tonga. Pretty frightening. We'll get into that. But I do want to encourage you, if you have not yet done so, especially if you uh, are either retired now or thinking about retirement, think about investing in gold. And Legacy Precious Metals is the company that you can trust because these guys are experts when it comes to gold, silver, and precious metals. If your money is sitting in a traditional retirement account, it is getting eaten away right under your nose. And gold and precious metals offer a hedge against inflation and can protect you in your retirement. If you have an existing retirement account, 
Think about rolling it into a gold or a silver IRA. It's why gold should really be a part of every wise investor's portfolio. Legacy is the company that you can trust because they give you unbiased counsel based on your individual situation. Contact Legacy Precious Metals today. You can call 866-932-0635. That's 866-932-0635. Or you can visit LegacyPMInvestments.com. That's LegacyPMInvestments.com. Very important, when you go to the website, there's an option towards the bottom to request some more information for free. If you do that, it's going to ask you where you heard about their product, LegacyPMInvestments.com. Tell them you heard about it from me, Frank Morano. There's a bunch of options. Larry Kudlow, Ben Ferguson. Uh, Tell them you heard about it from me. You have nothing to lose by requesting the information for free, and you have nothing to lose by saying you heard about it from me, Frank Moreno. Uh, 800-848-WABC. Let me say hello to Andy B. on Staten Island. Hello, Andy. Hey, what's going on? Well, you tell how's me, Andy. Little, how's, how's that little boy? He's doing great. Thank you for asking. Oh, that's great. I'm so happy. But uh, how's the big guy? Yeah, you know, Andy, I'm not going to have you play it because last time it didn't sound good. The audio quality didn't sound good at all. It sounded like you were sort of off mic. So, you know, wait till you get it recorded and then send it in to us. We'll play it when you record it. You know, it was a surprise. You know, if you ask me to do something, I'll always do it. You know, just me. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was a surprise. It was a one-off because you know your guy. I'm your hero. In fact, we got to get you on the song. Yeah, hey, I'd love to be Andy. You do a great job. If people don't know Andy, he does a theme song that we play in the uh, four o'clock hour every every day. Andy, thanks for calling. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. David is in Los Angeles. Hello, David. Uh, hey Frank, before I start, why I called in for you? you mentioned Dr. Judy. Is that Karyansky? Yeah, she was here yesterday for the first hour. Oh, my goodness. I used to work with her in the 90s. We used to be very tight friends. I got to check that out. Is that on the podcast? Yeah. How, how, one, how come uh, you don't consider her, you, you guys present tight friends? And two, how, could, how dare you miss the first hour of yesterday's yeah. show? What were you so busy doing? I forget. But, no, uh, we, we just lost touch. We used to work together at Z100. Ah yes, well she she did a lot of great work there, so uh, I'm sure I'm sure you had some great stories. What was your comment yeah. though, David? Uh, well, I just heard that press conference after you played Eric Adams uh, at the beginning of your show about the press conference he just had. I watched it. It appears as though he was talking to Alvin Bragg. It appears as though he called him out directly when he said, "And when we make a good arrest, it needs to be prosecuted." Who was he talking to? Yeah, I think he was talking to Alvin Bragg and people like Eric Gonzalez, who uh, have uh, also not really shown much of an aptitude for prosecuting a lot of these crimes. Okay, well, we'll see. The one thing I hope that we're not finding out about Eric, I just hope he's not an empty exhortation guy that's no different than a regular radio caller that just goes out and says the stuff. He has to have some method to achieve the goal. But this was very encouraging that he said that, and I think the public pressure is going to keep him having to pressure. Well, I hope so. Look, I mean, uh, thanks, David. He ran for mayor largely on a platform of improving public safety. So I don't think he 
would plan on completely abandoning that once he got elected. And look, he's smart enough to know, uh, I would hope, that, um, you know, that there are things that lead to more crime and there are things that lead to less crime. And I think the fact that one of the first things he did was bring back punitive segregation in the city's jails, I think that's a positive sign. I think the fact that he's bringing back some version of the NYPD street crime unit, I think that's a positive sign. 800-848-WABC. You can also email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Gentleman writes, uh, when I made a joke about Ralph's audio quality, he writes, uh, you're one to criticize Ralph's audio quality, says the radio host who put a man on the mic yesterday with a loudly stuffed nose. Yeah, a lot of people said there was someone... Uh, in the first hour, breathing on mic. I didn't catch that at all. So uh, I, uh, a lot of people wrote to me about it. So clearly a lot of people heard that, but uh, I didn't catch that at all. So uh, we'll try and do better next time. And uh, Paul writes, uh, I think this is Paul. He says, uh, I'm a little disappointed in you tonight. Well, Paul, now you know how I feel about you on a regular basis. Uh, Michael writes, uh, the 14-year-old was not thrown, was thrown up, not brought up. Well, that's very clever. 800-848-WABC if you want to comment. On Twitter as well, at Frank Morano. And uh, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. Coming up in just a minute, we're going to talk with Marshall Masters. Marshall Masters is somebody who uh, is an expert in a lot of things related to science. And we're going to get into uh, we're going to get into what he thinks this underground volcano means for the future of the planet, basically, and how concerned we should be about, uh, you know, some something cataclysmic happening. But uh, for now, I would really like to hear your take on these new numbers, which indicate that America's youth is turning markedly leftward. And this is a trend that has continued for the last 35, 40 years, and it's gone up, it's gone down, but as of now, we are seeing the most liberal generation of young people that we've seen in 40 years. And it's not just based on um, presidential election data. It's also based on self-identification. So we'll see what happens, but uh, I, uh, I think I think this is something that, is likely to be somewhat temporary. We'll see. Uh, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. That's uh, 800-848-WABC. Coming up a little later, uh, we will discuss this uh, situation involving the the uh, China and the movies, which is pretty frightening. And it's not something you're really hearing talked about largely anywhere. At least I haven't heard talked about anywhere. But uh, China, with its purchasing power, is really influencing a great deal of what we're seeing in terms of what, of the movies. Hollywood is bending over backwards to cater to China, and it is uh, something we're going to have to get into probably in the in the three o'clock hour. Also, uh, this asteroid, this asteroid is something that's really something serious to be reckoned with as well. Uh, and I will tell you. I uh, had an interesting uh, story sent to me by one listener regarding something in hotels which is ending here in New York. I'll tell you about that as well. I was quite surprised by that. 
So, uh, all right, we're going to talk with Marshall Masters in just a minute. He is somebody who used to be a major media producer at CNN and now has taken to essentially warning that the sky is falling like Chicken Little. I don't mean to belittle any of the warnings that he's made over the years, but he is predicting something, at least in the short term, that is pretty pessimistic. He, he does have a more optimistic long-term view. So we'll get into that in uh, just a moment. All right, this is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, have you heard about this volcanic eruption near Tonga? It's quite interesting. If you haven't yet heard about it, here is uh, one of the bulletins that uh, has been playing on news reports for the last four or five days, indicating the damage from this volcanic eruption and tsunami. International aid efforts are being ramped up to Tonga. We're three days on from that massive undersea volcanic eruption, and the tsunami that followed has cut off nearly all communications to the country. Tonga's in the South Pacific. It's made up of 170 islands. 105,000 people live there, and 80% of them have been affected by Saturday's eruption. The island where the volcano was is now submerged. The eruption lasted eight minutes and sent cloud and ash 20 kilometers into the air. The sonic boom was so loud it could be heard 2,300 kilometers away in New Zealand and over 9,700 kilometers away in Alaska. Now, this is pretty serious. I'll be honest with you. I don't know that I could have even found Tonga on a map prior to this. But this massive volcanic eruption and tsunami has caused catastrophic damage. Homes destroyed, a lot of communities there covered in a thick layer of ash, and the Tongan government says the country, they're calling this completely unprecedented. Communications with Tonga have been severely disrupted. Satellite images and aerial photos are showing the level of destruction. Listen to this. The single undersea cable connecting Tonga to the outside world was severed. In the eruption, the port in the capital has been severely damaged. Many buildings near the waterfront completely flattened. Someone who has been studying this and issues like this for a long time is Marshall Masters. He is a former CNN Science Features news producer. He is a freelance writer, television analyst, and he is the publisher of a very interesting website called YOWUSA.com. Marshall, thanks for staying up late with us. It's my pleasure. Uh, Marshall, uh, educate folks. What is YOWUSA.com? What sort of stories do you generally cover on there? It stands for Your Own World USA, and we specialize in stories about space threats and earth changes, and we have a very strong focus on Planet X. 
And, well, I want to ask you about that in a minute because I've read some of what you've written on that, and it's quite interesting. But what do we know at this point about this underwater volcano in Tonga? Uh, how severe is it, and what's the story? Give us the, the sort of Jack Webb style, just the facts. Well, what we're finding with this is, first off, if you can see the video illustrations uh, from space where you see the shock wave, how it propagates out, is stunning. This is quite an event. I think what really caught my eye about this was that there was no quake activity reported prior to this. It just came out of nowhere. Boom. And there's been a lot of damage. Uh, you know, I was it was I found it interesting that as far away as Santa Cruz, California, uh, they were having flooding problems at the docks and things like that. So this is a significant event, but it's also another anomalous event like what happened with La Palma. We had that longest eruption in the history of La Palma. And a lot of people were concerned that there would be a block slide event where it would send a wall of water towards the east coast of the Americas. Uh, So we're seeing this as part of a much larger overall trend. Now, um, you mentioned that there was no... There was no seismic activity indicative of an earthquake prior to the eruption. Uh, if folks are, you know, not necessarily up on their seismology, that would be atypical. Usually you do get an indication of seismic activity or earthquake activity prior to an eruption of this magnitude. Yeah, you would have something like that. It would. Uh, a good example is, I believe... Was it 2020 uh, Hawaii? And it went through, uh, oh, my gosh, a huge number of microquakes, small ones, ones and twos. Uh, But during that period, uh, that was probably one of the largest, that was the highest month in all of recorded history. So you have these events, but it is unusual for something like this to just boom, Something of magnitude. There should have been some indicator, something, something somewhere along the way. And so I think that's one of the reasons why Tonga has really captured so much attention. That and the fact that it's really affected so many world areas. Sure. Now, if folks were ge- geographically challenged like I am, where exactly is Tonga? What's it near? Well, Tonga's in the South Pacific. All right. And so... If you are looking, this is out in the area east of um, Australia. And all right, so it's near near Australia. Yeah, what okay. I'm going to do is just you know get it a little closer here for you. All right, well, as you uh, as you are working on that. Let me ask you about this. I have gotten quite a few uh, emails over the course of the last few days suggesting that maybe this volcanic eruption was something other than an underwater volcano. Some people even suggesting that there was a a possibility that this was actually a missile attack. Do you see any possibility that that could have been the case? Well, actually, yeah, you could. There's something called Rods of God. And uh, one of the things that they found is that 
uh, all of the treaties that we have about nuclear weapons in space do not prohibit kinetic weapons. And so the U.S. Uh, Air Force developed a concept called Rods of God, which are basically titanium telephone poles. Uh, you know, they're about a foot in diameter, and they are made of solid titanium. And uh, this is almost nearly as heavy as gold, um, and but it's very hard. And so if you have this kind of very simple low-tech weapon, it's a kinetic energy weapon. And these things can be launched and impact with the same force as an atomic bomb. They can release a lot of energy. But also they could do this, you know, there, there's a, been a lot of theories, especially like about 311 and what happened in Japan, that it was triggered by uh, subsea nuclear detonations. And that is a part of our reality now. We have to look at that. Why would anyone want to attack Tonga, though? I mean, they strike me as they, they seem anyway like a pretty harmless country. Well, yeah, I mean, I, they are, as I said, they're east of Australia and north, north by north um, east of New Zealand. And who would want to strike it? I don't know. You know, but we're dealing with abnormal times in terms of natural events. There is the ability for dark forces to use other things. If they're doing something like Tonga, maybe it's because it would be a test site or maybe it's just nature. There's a lot of maybes. Uh, now, you would, you mentioned another similar anomalous geological event. I think it was La Palma. Are we seeing an uptick in, let's say it's not a uh, missile attack or some sort of an explosive, are we seeing an uptick in unusual geological events like this? We're seeing an uptick. And the thing that's difficult for us on our site, we have our article, Sign 60, Expected Deep Impact Event in 2022. And we go in, we've been following the USGS reporting on earthquakes of all magnitudes. I mean, we take them from, you know, the itty-bitty ones to the biggest that they, they're tracking. And we caught, it was June of last year, we actually found, because our database goes back five years and we've been tracking against theirs, that they started changing the numbers historically. And we went through and we did a cross-reference all the way back to 2008, and we found a huge amount of jiggering, particularly in the lead-up to 2012, um, with earthquakes <clears throat> The USGS was reporting um, generally about in the range of 20,000 earthquakes, total earthquakes per year. Well, it was more like about 1,200 or 100,000. Wow. That was the actual, and I'm talking about in the years 2008 to 2012, 
And so there's a graph on the site, and it shows we caught USGS jiggering the data. And what they did was they intentionally suppressed earthquake activity that was prior to 2012, which, you know, obviously, which was to make people think that there was nothing there, move along, it's a hoax. Um, the thing about December 2012 was that it was a harbinger event. It was a celestial alignment. And they were saying their message from the Mayans was, here, this is your harbinger event. This is something that's easy to distinguish, and it just is benign. It tells you you are on the path of a major event. And we didn't get that reading. If we had been able to see what was happening with the actual quake activity, fewer people right now would be thinking that December 2012, you know, December 21, 2012, the Mayan calendar thing, was a hoax. Well, it wasn't a hoax. They were right. Um, and we caught USGS. And then the problem with the reporting that we're getting out of USGS right now, because they're skewing it again. This was mostly uh, a lot of the stuff that we saw with the jiggering occurred principally during the Obama administration. And it was in the Trump administration that they were quietly trying to backfill and correct the database and bring it back to what was actually reported. Uh, however, I, it looks to us, they're, you know, old tricks are the best tricks, and they're reporting for December of 2021, just we looked at it and it just didn't make sense. I mean, they're, they're reporting for the month a total of 8,835 earthquakes of all magnitude around the world. Well, to find the next lowest reading, you've got to go all the way back to 2011. Wow. Which is 8,277. Now, to put this in perspective, let me just talk about 2018, 2019, and 2020. 2018 was 16,559. 2019 was 11,867. 2020 was 14,525. And then we dropped to 8,835. And one of the first things that we saw was that USGS never reported the La Palma quakes, which were considerable. You mentioned, and, you mentioned, and you write on your site, and if people are just tuning in, we're talking with Marshall Masters, uh, the publisher of YOWUSA.com, the possibility of a, a deep impact event in 2022. Now, uh, those of us over a certain age, of course, remember the film Deep Impact with uh, Morgan Freeman as the president warning about a comet hitting the earth. Hello, America. It is my unhappy duty to report to you that the Messiah has failed. This computer-enhanced radar image from Houston shows how the detonation succeeded, however, did not destroy the comet. There are now two pieces, one six miles wide, the other a mile and a half. Both are still on the path towards Earth. We've lost communication with the Messiah spacecraft, although we continue to track it visually. 
We don't know how many are alive. We don't know their condition. Now we have to make some decisions together. What do we do? You have a choice. We have a choice right now. Ever since the comet was discovered, we've been hoping and working for the best. But we've also been planning for the worst. Now, when you use the term deep impact, are you talking about something on a level of uh, cataclysmic destruction, sort of like we see in that film? Yes, it's not necessarily an extinction-level event. Um, You know, there was an impact that was not an extinction-level event in that film. But it's a deep impact event. I mean, this is something that is going to cause loss of life on a large scale. Um, So what are you basing that on? Just the uptick in anomalous geological activity? No, what we're doing is we are tracking fireballs. Uh, this goes back to nemesis theory, and which I first heard of actually when I was a, in the late 60s when I was in high school, and uh, about nemesis, that we are in a binary star system, and it's the, the sun, smaller twin, is a brown dwarf star. And we have been tracking this for years, and... Um, the the way that we're tracking what's happening, how it's moving in t- towards us, is we track fireballs. Now, these are not shooting stars, which are really nice to look at. We don't focus on that. We're looking for fireballs, the big smokers that cross the sky. And then the bigger ones are the bolides and uh, a bolide, you'll detonate and have a flash, and a super bolide, you'll have a concussion wave as well. A uh, good example of a super bolide was back in 2013 in Chelyabinsk, Russia. And so we've been tracking the fireballs because the Nemesis system has its own cloud, much like the Oort cloud that surrounds our solar system. And we're starting to fly through it. And what we're seeing in the fireball data is rocks are coming our way because of it. Um, What I can tell you is that when we look at monthly fireballs, uh, we just have been, this year, we've been setting records most of the months, highest in recorded history. But to give you an idea, back in 2011, there were about 1,800 fireballs sighted globally. Uh, And in 2021, that was about um, 9,500. So, and... If you can on the site, you'll see a graph that takes you all the way from 2020, 2011 to 2021. And what you see is year after year, it sets new records. And then what we did is we have several subsets. We've been tracking this with our sign series, which is uh, our 60th installment. And we publish them once a month. And so we have amassed a very considerable research database. That was how we were able to catch the USGS jiggering the numbers. Um, 
And they are, we believe they're jiggering the numbers. We think they're starting to skew it again like they did back in the lead up to 2012. But with the fireball totals, there is one subset that we have been tracking in particular. Uh, the lead researcher on our team, J.P. Jones, uh, about three years ago, he created a hypothesis for the nemesis cloud, nemesis being a brown dwarf star in orbit around our star, and it is a constellation. It has its own satellites uh, comprised of planets, moons, and so forth. And we, you know, we have been, and when you look at a chart, uh, it's the same thing as the earthquakes. You know, you draw a line at 2012, and then after that, it just keeps skyrocketing upwards. It kind of reminds you, you know, Wiley E. Coyote and on an Acme rocket. And the thing of it is, is the coyote just keeps going up year after year. But the one subset we've been tracking are, we call them huge fireball events. Now, they're different subsets. Uh, you have like multi-state. So you have a big smoker that's big enough that people in one state can see it and another state can see it, or even it crosses an international boundary, like from over U.S. and into Canada. Well, when we use the term, when you use the term fireball, Marshall, what are we talking about? That could be a uh, that could be a volcano. That could be an earthquake. Hello. Uh, well, sorry, I get. I guess we we lost you. We're going to try and reconnect with uh, Marshall Masters. Uh, you could check out his website yowusa.com. Uh, he's a former CNN features news producer. He's been a freelance writer and a television analyst for a long time, uh, analyzing all sorts of things with respect to space and uh, all sorts of uh, in interesting incidents related to geologic activity. And it is, uh, it is interesting that uh, we seem to have been experiencing a sudden loss of telephonic activity. If you're just tuning in, uh, Marshall is saying that this uh, this this volcanic eruption underwater in Tonga or near Tonga, one, it could have been something else other than a volcano, and two, if even assuming it was a volcano, it was it didn't have the same sort of seismic precursor to an event of this magnitude that we generally. See, and Marshall has said his research suggests that we could see a deep impact style event that would lead to cataclysmic destruction in terms of loss of life for uh, this year. So uh, it is not exactly a an uplifting piece, but you can go to the website yowusa.com to check it out if you want to. Uh, we're going to try and reconnect with him. Uh, but in the meantime, I am uh, reading through some of your emails here, and uh, evidently a couple of people have written to me that what Big Julie was saying earlier about drive-by mobile gun scanning technology, that does exist, and the NYPD has indeed tested it. So perhaps that is something, along with ShotSpotter, that we could see the police make broader use 
um, you know, a broader use of in the future. So we'll see. Uh, 800-848-WABC if you want to comment on anything we're covering. That's 800-848-9222. I think we have Marshall back. Marshall, that was uh, awfully bizarre and will only feed into my conspiratorial bent. But um, if you can, what I was saying was if you could just redefine the term fireballs as you use it. Okay, we use the term fireballs. These are what we're tracking are space threats. So we're looking at rocks falling on the planet from space. All right. And, and go ahead. Yeah, so, you know, a fireball is, you know, you have shooting stars. Those are fun to look at. We don't bother with the shooting stars. The fireballs are the big smokers you see up in the sky. They leave the trail of smoke. That's why we call them smokers. And uh, then there's fireballs. And then the next step up are bolides. Bolides will detonate with the flash. And then super bolides will also generate a shockwave. And how bad do you see this getting? You said that uh, this deep impact event, which you're predicting for this year, could it's unlikely to be an, an event level extinction event, but it's going to be bad. How bad are we talking? This is going to be a this is not going to be an event where it wipes out entire nations. I doubt that. But we're going to have something when it hits. It's going to hit hard enough if it's, you know, 70% of the globe is water. So you're going to have a tsunami. If you're going to have a land impact, there's really not much of a difference. Um, But you don't have the tsunami. Although you're going to have the ejecta, you're going to have falling hot rocks, if you will. And uh, those would be, the if you wanted to call them, earthquake fireballs, and uh, they would happen. But this is going to be a a deep impact event, something that will drive down to the seabed, and it is going to probably create enough of a tsunami to take out a shoreline, maybe go back as far as uh, two or three miles. Do you see any reason at this point that the public should be optimistic about the planet's future? Frankly, no. Hmm. Uh, we're going through a period where this is this object, this second sun that we've been tracking. And this is what we're tracking with our website, and we've been doing this since 1999. Um, this thing is already in the northern skies. Uh, as a matter of fact, Nemesis. That's the name of this uh, star, brown dwarf star. And it crossed into the northern skies. There's the ecliptic. And so imagine you start with a dot in the center of the sun and expand that out to the 12 constellations of the zodiac. That's the ecliptic. That's the plane of our system. Another way you could think of it is the sun's equator, if you wish. And... As long as Nemesis is in the southern skies, where it spends most of its 3,600 lunar years, it's not a problem. It's when it comes above into the northern skies that we have a problem. 
and we've been tracking it. Um, the first time I saw one of the planets in that system was in December of 2012, and which again, you know, consistent with the harbinger of the Mayans. And we, at the time, we called it Blue Bonnet, and we were observing it through an excellent camera on top of a volcano, Turrialba Volcano in Costa Rica. And it was a phenomenal thing. We were able to track this object, objects that are near and behind the sun. You can only see them really close to sunrise or really close to sunset. And this was popping up for a few minutes every day at uh, just before sunset. And this was initially reported to me by an expat who was living on the flanks of the volcano. And they'd been watching it because they were tracking this camera just to see, you know, if it's time to start, you know, run like crazy. And <clears throat> I saw it myself uh, for the first time. I tried a few times, and then it was the day after Christmas in December 2012 that I saw uh, Nibiru, which is the outermost major planet of this nemesis constellation. And at the time, I named it Blue Bonnet because of the color. Uh, but since then, I've been tracking it, and in the field of Planet X research, many people consider me a tent post when it comes to image analysis. I've done so much of it over the years. I, I guess the, the, we've been tracking it. The, the thing that a lot of listeners are going to have a tough time wrapping their head around is how could uh, Mayan prophecies from thousands of years ago have be, have predicted geologic activity in the year 2012 or the year 2022? How does that happen? How does that work? What do you attribute that to? Well, what they're saying is that you're going to have a flyby event. The flyby event of this, you have a massive object. I mean, a brown dwarf is a couple of times the size of Jupiter. And this is a large object with its own planets and moons. It's coming through the system. It's going to create all kinds of problems. First thing, it's dragging its own rocks with it. And what it's not dragging with it, it's coming through the core of our system like the mother of all cue balls. And it's knocking stuff that is in benign orbits into Earth-crossing orbits. And that is a concern as well. And for us, we're tracking it. Uh, it was uh, Nemesis, actually. There was an image. It was leaked out. That was a white hat at NASA. And when I saw it, I immediately go, you know, no, this is not the kind of information the government is going to release. And But it was an image from SOHO that showed Nemesis had just completed its transition transit, excuse me, across the ecliptic and into the northern skies. And that happened on July 4th of last year. Uh, Marshall, I, I have to run, but uh, very quickly, I have to get you to explain, since you're something of an expert in this subject, what exactly is Planet X? When people use that term, Planet X, what does that mean? Planet X is a term that was coined by astronomer Percival Lowell in about 1905. And it describes, when you're thinking Planet X, it's not Planet Ken. It is, Planet X means is that you know that there's this object, this large planet out there, not by because that you can observe it, 
but rather you are observing its perturbations in the orbits of other large objects out there. This was this started this search for planet X actually started with the discovery of Uranus, first planet discovered with a telescope, and they started seeing that Uranus had a perturbation in its orbit. They calculated that and were able to literally and this was in the days before computers. They did the math and sent it off to an observatory in Germany, and they just swung the scope around, and boom, they found Neptune. Then they found Neptune. Neptune had a perturbation in its orbit, and so the European astronomers started looking for that. And this is when Lowell stepped in. Lowell was a wealthy Bostonian, so he wasn't having to cater to anyone, and he formed the Lowell Observatory specifically to start the search for Neptune's perturber here in the United States. And he was looking at what's causing Neptune's orbit to be perturbed, because this was observed. And that inevitably led to the 1930 discovery of Pluto by Clyde Tombaugh. But they later found out that Pluto is only about 60% the, mass, the size of our own moon. So it didn't have the mass to be the perturber. And the search kept going on. In 1940, Carlos you know, Mar Marshall, I, I, I have to end it there, unfortunately. We're out of time, but I want to encourage everybody to check out your website where you've done some uh, terrific work on this, YOWUSA.com. Marshall, I'll look forward to our next conversation where we can uh, uh, continue the conversation a bit more. Absolutely. You're on top of it. I'm trying. Thank you. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. Again, the website is YOWUSA.com. My guest has been Marshall Masters. We'll continue straight ahead. WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. We'll talk China next hour. I'm squeezing uh, now. No time for a call here. Those of you that are holding, we'll get to you next hour. In the meantime, if you want to email me, you can do so. Frank.morano at wabcradio.com. And uh, we, no guests for the rest of the show. So we'll have plenty of opportunities to chat about a wide variety of issues. So you can uh, start queuing up at 800-848-9222. In the meantime, Frank Diaz has got the news. But until next hour, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morrow, everybody. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano, and you wouldn't know it by how often I get to watch films now because it's pretty close to never. It's gone, <laughs> given the constraints of uh, my time, uh, I have significantly reduced the amount of films that I'm able to watch. I am able to watch sometimes maybe... 20, 30, 40 minutes of a film when I'm staying up feeding a little Carmine in the morning or something of that ilk. But I am a big fan of motion pictures. And I have been watching 
what has been happening in China for years now with great interest. And I've done some segments on this, but now we are getting to a new level. China, we all know what they do, right? Uh, We all know the human rights abuses. We all know the lying to their own people. We all know the uh, torturing of and arrest of political dissidents. We all know the oppression in places like Hong Kong. We all know the refusal to recognize the independence of Taiwan. We all know what's going on, right? But the area that has not gotten nearly enough attention is the fact that China, just by sheer force of numbers, is one of the largest entertainment markets in the world right now with over a billion people and a billion people that don't get their choice of every entertainment option in the world. No, a billion people who essentially only get to watch what the government says it's okay to watch. So China and the Chinese government has be has been has become a Hollywood power player. They do not allow American films into China to be distributed unless they jive with China's view of the world or they portray China or Chinese people or the Chinese military in a good light. You remember the film Arrival? It's a great film, Arrival. Amy Adams, I liked it. Uh, it's a, you know science fiction. It's got aliens. It's got all sorts of stuff that I like. It's got the world in danger and no one's sure how to fix it. Well, aside from Amy Adams, who's the hero in that film? Those of you that have seen that know this. I don't want to spoil it, but it's a, it's a communist Chinese general. He's the hero along with Amy Adams. Interstellar. You remember Interstellar? Uh, or uh, no, not Interstellar. Uh, Gravity, with Sandra Bullock and George Clooney. Who is it that rescues Sandra Bullock in that film while she's out in the middle of space, ready to die? It's a Chinese. How about the film The Martian? Remember the film The Martian? How did he get rescued? A piece of Chinese technology. Um, you, you look at a film like Captain America. Captain America, Civil War, you think, oh, well, Captain America, that's got to portray America as the go-to positive country. No. If you watch the film Captain America, Civil War, there is blatant product placement that would have escaped a lot of people's attention, but it made it in to this superhero movie. Tony Stark and a few other Avengers... They switched from LG phones to a brand called Vivo, V-I-V-O. Have you ever heard of Vivo? You ever heard of it? You ever use a Vivo phone? I'm betting not. Because if you haven't heard of it, that's because Vivo phones aren't even available in America. And yet all the superheroes in that movie are watching it, are using it. Why? Because Vivo is basically a cheap Chinese phone brand which doesn't sell any products in this country, and it is big in China. So the fact that uh, Iron Man and Captain America would be using this Vivo brand phone is a tremendous commercial 
for a Chinese company, which, like just about every Chinese company, ends up being partners with the Chinese communist government. The film Warcraft, the very existence of a Warcraft film, is a giant concession towards the Chinese box office. Ten years ago, an estimated 3.2 million of the game's 6 million-plus players were Chinese. If you look at the um, the, the uh, Rogue One, the Star Wars movie, two of the, of the characters in it are at least Asian. We can't say they're Chinese. Now You See Me too. another big thing with, with China. It, the Independence Day sequel. You remember in the first film, the Americans were able to beat the uh, aliens all by themselves. In the second film, they couldn't do it without the Chinese. Now, uh, the film Star Trek Beyond, there's a Chinese character, Sulu, who's gay. And that's kind of an homage to George Takei, who's actually Japanese. But it's kind of an homage to George Takei being gay in real life. He played Sulu on the original show. And the Sulu in Star Trek Beyond is shown to be gay. They cut a kissing scene because the Chinese government didn't like that. That, uh, having a gay scene in there. Now, why does this all matter? Surely we have better things to worry about than simply um, than simply who's who, saving who in which superhero movies. Well, sort of like what the caller was saying yesterday about the propaganda and manipulation of laugh tracks on sitcoms. I still don't agree with him on that, but... I get what I think I get where he was going. The willingness of American movie studios to bend over backwards to make a product that the Chinese communist government deems appropriate to show to its billion people is giving the Chinese government a tremendous mouthpiece in America. And an American media, and you see this with the NBA, you see this with other people, is there's this refusal to be critical of China and of incredibly dangerous behavior. There's no desire to criticize because they don't want to lose the Chinese market because they can't afford to. Now, here's the news. China blocked all four of Disney's Marvel movies from being released in its theater last year. Now, that is a disaster because these movies, they all have the same formula. There's a lot of action. They, uh, they cost a lot of money to make, a lot of special effects. They're very expensive to make. And the only way that you can make a lot of money with them is if you get access to the Chinese marketplace, the Indian marketplace, and some other global marketplace. If China doesn't allow it, then these films become a whole lot less profitable. Uh, George Lucas has referred to this as sort of being a, like, like a hustler, a modern-day hustler. Here, this, we give you $100 million. You have to go take this $100 million and come back to us with a billion dollars, sort of on a grand scale what uh, Craig Carton was doing at the blackjack table. So this is a the fact that China blocked all four of Disney's Marvel movies from being released in theaters last year. That is a grim sign for these movie studios being squeezed out of the world's fastest growing box office. Why does this matter? The Chinese Communist Party is using domestic films 
as a key conduit for mass messaging aimed at achieving political goals. And that leaves very little room for foreign views. As critical as I am of Saudi Arabia, and I am uh, with good reason, Saudi Arabia actually allows some American messaging to seep its way into the mass markets. Um, even Iran does. So this is Rebecca Davis, who is a writer for the China Bureau of uh, Variety. Variety is an entertainment-themed magazine. She said, it's a real turning away from the global entertainment industry. The pandemic is ushering in a new era of unpredictability for Western media companies that operate in China. The pandemic, believe it or not, put China in a better position to control releases. That's not me saying it. That's a senior media analyst for Comscore. Despite Disney's best efforts to bend over backwards to what Chinese want and to court Chinese officials to ensure that their films are welcome in the region. Its highest-grossing films last year, all Marvel titles, Disney's highest-grossing films, were blocked apparently for character portrayals or concerns about comments made by filmmakers, directors, or actors in the film. According to Sean Robbins... Chief analyst at Box Office Pro, Marvel films are typically very lucrative there, but the political aspects in blocking those films took precedence for the Chinese government over the positive box office economic impact they likely would have had. Now, how crazy is that? Here is a country that allowed COVID to run wild. They allowed flights out of Wuhan to the United States and everywhere else in the world except other parts of China. They lied to their own people and to the world about the nature of the Wuhan threat, what they were doing to combat the Wuhan threat. They lied to the public. They intentionally put out false public health information. What do we do? We, We do nothing. We stand idly by while they get the Olympics. And let China put their best foot forward. I heard Rita Cosby talking about that last night. She was absolutely right. And we're now allowing them to act as these gatekeepers of which American-made films get to Chinese viewers. And, And it's really quite dangerous. And it's not just Marvel films that are affected. Revenue for U.S. films in China fell across the board because... The Chinese films are dominating the box office there. Of the foreign films that China, that uh, did play in Chinese theaters last year, just 28% were 2021 titles. Most of them were older films. China's leaders have set a goal for China to become a strong film power by the year 2035. Uh According to Ann Kokus, the assistant professor of media studies at the University of Virginia, China has already surpassed the U.S. as the world's largest theatrical market for the first time in 2020, and they beat us again in 2021, in large part because of its reliance on local films. Chinese regulators allow about 34 foreign films to be shown per year. Beijing's desire to establish a powerful domestic film industry isn't to rival the soft cultural power that America has enjoyed throughout the global dominance of Hollywood, but to create 
and then manipulate a powerful platform to disseminate party messages. The highest grossing film in China last year was a film called, actually, it's actually the highest grossing film in the history of Chinese cinema. The film was called Battle for Lake Shenzhen. That is a propaganda war film glorifying the Chinese army's fight against the American military during the Korean War. The timing of that film's release came at the same time Chinese leaders were mobilizing the country for an extended rivalry with the United States. Another recent film called Embrace Again uses China's most popular movie stars to amplify Beijing's preferred narrative of the pandemic as a heartwarming struggle of a people against a virus. They erase completely the government failures that allowed the initial outbreak to become a pandemic. The film dominated the New Year's box office. According to one expert, the story of the pandemic in China is in part being written by these state-backed films that that have all the technical elements of a Hollywood blockbuster. But they're all lies. They're all lies. So um, they're saying this is in a state of limbo right now, one that might shift Hollywood's near-future global strategies as well as China's goals. I find this incredibly worrisome. China is censoring Hollywood's imagination. And the studios are only too happy to go along with this for money. We've always seen, you know, Hollywood played an enduring role in the creation of foreign enemies. Sometimes it was the Soviet Union. Remember all those James Bond films where the Russians were the enemies? Rocky IV even, uh, where uh, Rocky single-handedly defeats communism in Russia by beating Ivan Drago. Air Force One. All sorts of others. Popular post-9-11 films, American Sniper, Zero Dark Thirty, they present the Arabs, in many instances, as the bad guys. Now, though, we are seeing the opposite with China. When you look at America's real-world rivals, China's got to be at or near the top. Uh, Movies have still, to this day, an ability to instill sympathy for vulnerable groups and to prolong remembrances of certain atrocities. We've seen this with the Holocaust, some great Holocaust films that have been made. Obviously, Schindler's List is right at the top. But you also have the Rwandan genocide in Hotel Rwanda. You have the issue with the Blood Diamonds in films like Blood Diamond. But the last time a major Hollywood studio made a movie that presented a vulnerable group as the victim of Chinese government aggression was in 1997, seven years in Tibet with Brad Pitt. That's over 25 years ago. So if you look at the groups around the world, and certainly in China and in Asia, that are being oppressed by the Chinese right now, their stories are not being told cinematically. Other groups that are oppressed are getting their stories told. Why aren't the Uyghurs? Why aren't the protesters being, being arrested in Hong Kong? Because 
Hollywood has made the calculation that they don't want to upset the Chinese dragon. The Chinese government responded to seven years in Tibet by slapping a five-year ban on on the production company that made that film, Columbia. And that warning shot cast a chill over the U.S. movie industry. These studios now go out of their way to ensure their movies avoid topics or depictions of China that run afoul of China's censors. And it's very, very frightening. Do you ever ask yourself the question, why have we never seen in the last 10 years a Chinese bad guy in any of these films? And look, I'm not sitting here saying, I, I, you know, I love Chinese people. I love Chinese food. I like Chinese history. I love Chinese culture. But it's very strange. During the Cold War, every other film that came out, the bad guy was Russian. Now that America's greatest global rival probably is China, they also happen to be the country that we owe the most money to, you don't see anything. This censorship is causing not only Chinese audiences to miss out on the full picture, it's causing American audiences to miss out on a deeper understanding of Chinese society. I'm not saying come out a film every year showing China as the worst people in the world. No, but tell the truth. Why is there no film depicting the atrocity of the Uyghurs? Why is there no film recently depicting the horrible political oppression of a one-party state? Why is there no film depicting the horrors of of forced abortions during China's one-child policy? You don't see anything. And it's because of the power of the Chinese government over these Hollywood studios. I don't know what the solution is, but to me, we're now living in the worst of all worlds. We have Hollywood studios censoring themselves to get in good with China, and China is essentially taking that line from Animal House and saying, oh, well, you messed up. You, you, You trusted us. Tough noogies. Uh, you thought you were going to get your films distributed here? Nope, sorry. The guy that is the second, is the uh, best boy grip on your production said something like, um, Tibet should be free, so we're not releasing your film here. This is madness. This is crazy, and it's leading to a distortion of truth. It's leading to a distortion of fiction. I don't know what the first step is uh, in fixing this, other than to mention that this is a problem. I am amazed... That as we go into the Olympics, as we're going to have this big Olympic ceremony in China, nobody's talking about this. Nobody is talking about how the Chinese government has changed what kind of motion pictures I can see in America. It's bad enough they're doing this to their own people. They're doing this to you. And nobody cares. Your reaction, 800-848-WABC. Thoughts, questions, comments. 800-848-WABC. Think of – so let me just mention this last point, and then I'll let you talk because I've ranted enough. Becky Davis, who is that writer for Variety magazine that writes for the China Bureau. I'm going to invite her on this show. The time change might actually work well. Becky Davis points to the independent American film, The Farewell. 
That's a story about the looming death of a Chinese-American family's matriarch, an example of a movie that presents life in China and Chinese families abroad in a complex and deeply sympathetic way. Think of all the other kinds of farewells we could have and all the other types of stories that could be made if information could flow more freely between the two countries, if there wasn't such a risk to tell those stories bravely. We're missing out not only on quality cinema, we're missing out now on a whole generation of viewers who are informed about what's actually going on. The pandemic shuttered most of the world's theaters, and that has put even more pressure on the film industry. It's like I was saying with Dry January in the bars. The economic upheaval just might mean even less incentive for studios to stand up to China. 800-848-WABC. Here's something where you don't have to worry about the Chinese government censoring what you can do. Here's a positive step you could take for your own health, your own life, your own energy levels, your own digestive tract. That's Life Change Tea at GetTheTea.com. It's a terrific product. It's a gentle daily cleanse. It's a cold tea that works great to get things moving. Stress... And I'm stressed, man. Stress can wreak havoc on our digestive system. And that's where Life Change Tea gets to work. It works on fomenting healthy gut bacteria. And if you're feeling bloated, if you are feeling constipated, that's not healthy. It's not a good thing. Life Change Tea is an all-natural, non-GMO solution that will bring you some relief. One package will last you an entire month. But it's only available by going to the website GetTheTea.com. That's GetTheTea.com. And if you use the promo code FRANK, you'll get to enjoy some free shipping. While you're there, check out all their other great products designed for your optimum relief. Don't miss out. Life Change Tea at GetTheTea.com. It is the tea that makes you go. Just make sure, whatever you order on there, use the promo code FRANK. W-A-B-C. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. side of midnight as we didn't start the fire i can never remember if it's billy joel or bruce springsteen billy joel joel yeah uh bernie getz is mentioned in this song who's been a guest on this show he's i believe the only guest on this show that we have who's mentioned in this song a great song still to this day it holds up 800-848-WABC. I've uh, ranted enough, so I will let you be heard at 800-848-9222. Mike is in Hackettstown. Hello there, Mike. Oh, hello. Uh, I had a story. You know, I was, I'm about in the 
early 60s now. If you go back about like 25 years, I'm in like a high tech industry. And so I'm in a training course with young Chinese uh, men, you know, coming over. And um, I had lunch one day and, and they were there. And I, I started talking to them about, you know, uh, the geography of the country and what it looks like. I thought it was pretty cool. And they asked me, they said, uh, do you know who our president is? And this is back in Bill Clinton day, way back. I said, well, no, I don't. And they looked at me and said, well, I know who your president is, Bill Clinton. Or, yeah, I think it was Bill Clinton at the time. I said, okay, well, whatever. But they seemed a little incensed that I didn't know who their president was. You know? Like like they had a chip on their shoulder. Like Interesting. They, they, they thought that... Uh, that you know, that the, the world didn't respect them enough to know who they were. And I'm saying to myself as I get older, these people are now in their 60s. I said, I, I, that, their culture has a chip on its shoulder, and they're dangerous. And, and they do. They feel, I think that country feels like they didn't get the respect that they deserved in this world. And I'm telling you, better keep our eyeballs on them. Thank you, Mike. 800-848-WABC. George is uh, at Mount Sinai. Hello, George. Yeah, hi, Frank. I was the guy who was going to send you a zippy movie. I don't know if you got it yet, but I'll, I'll track it. But while I'm calling, um, I went to graduate school at St. John's University 40 years ago. I'm in my 70s. And I was uh, there's a center there for Chinese studies. It's probably under surveillance now. But anyway, we had a professor, Professor Chow, and he was um, – statistics professor. It was mostly men. He couldn't get away what he said today. He was um, telling us uh, at the end of the year, he said that gentlemen, I'd like you to he put on the board that out of every million people there's usually one genius born and um, since we have a billion people how does, <laughs> and we have a work ethic how does it make you round eyes feel? You know, he, he thought it was a joke. And a lot of the other people, uh, got, mostly men, were laughing. And I didn't think it was funny. But he goes, I suggest that you all come here to the uh, center here and take courses in Mandarin. My point being that I believe they will dominate the world eventually, and we can't stop them. And it's, when you talk about money, uh, why the, it's about money. I'm sure you know that. You've been around the block and why the people in Hollywood don't do anything, because it's money. So unless we're able to pass laws to stop this or to really take a hard action against them, my daughter-in-law is Chinese, and I hope she teaches my grandchildren uh, Mandarin. That's all I have to say. I, it's about money, and I don't think there's any stopping them, because we're not going to go to war with them. I don't know what you think about that. Well, no, I think it's very interesting. I don't know that it gets me any closer uh, to an answer about what American film studios and or American film viewers can do to battle back against this Chinese propaganda machine, quite literally. But it's certainly an interesting anecdote nonetheless. You know, one, one documentary that I just loved, and it's something that I think you will love. I, I mentioned it at the time. I saw it about a year ago. Um, I think you'll love it if you were an Obama supporter. I think you'll love it if you were a Trump supporter. 
It's a film called The Factory. It's a documentary. It was actually produced by uh, uh, Barack and Michelle Obama's film production company. And it tells the story of a factory in, I believe it was Ohio. It's been a while since I saw the film, but it's on Netflix. It's great. Getting, Getting taken over by a Chinese company. And it's so wonderful. And it's such an eye opener into what Chinese companies are doing to American businesses and to American consumers and to American unions. And it's a wonderful film. And if you watch this film, it's really such an eye-opener to uh, everything that the labor movement has been saying, everything Donald Trump has been saying, and uh, really a great film. I would uh, defy you to watch this. I mean, aside from the messaging, it's just a brilliant piece of filmmaking. It's called The Factory. It's available on Netflix. Uh, It was nominated for an Oscar, and uh, I don't think it won. But, uh, no, I'm, I'm actually pretty sure it didn't win the Oscar, but it was nominated. It was a fine film. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Um, Aliana is in Teaneck. Hello, Aliana. Hello, hello, Frank. Hi. Frank, I, uh, in reference to movies, the United States never really cared about movie production and how the production of movies is used as a, um, a media or a propaganda tool. When the communists in the Soviet Union uh, took over, one of their major, major information sources was movies. And Americans ignored that. As a matter of fact, they were quite entertained about that. Uh, right now, recently, we had a movie release, Bitter Harvest. This is the movie of how the communists started their regime in the Soviet Union. And is it technically very different than the communists doing anything anywhere? Really not. Have Americans ignored bitter harvest? Yes, we have. The difference is, though, Aliana, that uh, at the height of the Cold War with the Soviet Union, you didn't see American film studios rushing to whitewash history. You didn't see them rushing to act like the Russians weren't the bad guys. You didn't see them uh, being forced to portray Soviet military leaders as heroes in films. That didn't happen. That's why the era we're in now is so different historically from what we've been in over the last 100 years, 800-848-WABC. Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. You know, Neil, a lot of people have commented in the Facebook group that there is a ping that begins your phone calls, and I just noticed that as well. What is that Why, What is that ping It's uh, before before we go to you? I think that's the FBI, Frank. No, but you have any idea what that is? I, I, I know exactly what it is, Frank. I record every conversation. Oh, is that what it is? And I play it back for my friends. Oh, okay. All so, right. Got when it. I turn on the iPhone recorder, uh, I'm surprised to thought, you know, I'm not on the Facebook. I, my account is hacked. Oh, you're so better I, off. You're not missing much. Um, uh, by the way, do you have – is there a good app that you'd recommend for recording phone conversations? Because sometimes I, um, you know, I, I want to record like a, a conversation with somebody um, that, and I can't get to a radio studio or something, uh, if, whether it's for an interview or just something that I can remember later. And I can't, um, I, I've never really done that. Do you have a specific app that you recommend? Well, I, I have an iPhone, and it, it has a record feature on the iPhone. 
Yeah, so that's what that's what I use. Yeah, my 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 Droid or my uh, Google Pixel has a record feature, but um, I don't think it works for recording phone calls well. Well, I, I have the phone right next to the right next to the phone I'm speaking though. I see. I All speak right. it on a landline, and I and I have it right next to here. So All right. Well, that's neither on speakerphone. Yeah, neither here anyway. nor there. Go ahead. What's on your mind, well, Neil? What I wanted to say two things. Number one, for De Blasio, uh, it would be. A good job if he was the ambassador to Cuba. I think uh, that would be a, a perfect uh, place for the president to put him. Uh, I mean, they're all friends. I don't see why he doesn't ask. I mean, he he, he does like Cuba. Uh, <laughs> as for China, you know, China can't do anything to us that we don't let them do. I wouldn't be surprised if they own pieces of the movie studios. They own a lot of real estate. They own a lot of companies. Uh I'm, I'm sure they own Google and and uh, and Twitter. I'm sorry, uh, Facebook and Twitter. Because when I post on Facebook, uh, when I was posting on Facebook, saying I don't know why we don't find out uh, why the Chinese aren't held accountable for the virus that they released, I got thrown off uh, against community standards, opposing uh, misinformation. Same thing on Twitter. They they took the tweet off. So I, I have a feeling they have influence in those things. So they're very powerful, Frank and. Uh, our president's been compromised by China, and we know it from uh, uh, from Hunter's laptop and uh, the Bobolinsky. Uh, yeah, again, I, I don't want to make it a political discussion because it's not really. I mean, the whoever's president doesn't have um, they. You see, the the shame of it is, the Chinese premier has more of a say over what movies Hollywood is producing than the American president does. And think of how frightening that is. Because the same thing happened when Trump was president. So it has nothing to do, it's not as if uh, Trump was president and he was tough on China and they allowed films showing the truth about China to be produced. Uh, It didn't happen. So it has nothing. I want to keep the political aspect of this and the geopolitical aspect of this separate from the incredibly dangerous international propaganda aspect of this. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC. Uh, let me say hello to uh, Richie in Newark. Hello, Richie. Hi, how you doing? Yeah, I'm calling about the Flying Tigers from World War II. Um, it's a great story and a true story. They single-handedly saved China from the Japanese, not only destroyed a record number of planes, but annihilated the Japanese army trying to cross the Salween River into yeah. China. I think I saw that. Is that a John Wayne film? Yes. Yeah, I did World see War that. II. That's very good. That's a very good film. It's been a while, but I did see that. Right. Yeah, it was John Wayne and Anna Lee was the girl. And that was actually a takeoff. Uh, Johnny Petak from New Jersey was a real pilot. And Emma Jane Foster from PA, they were a pilot and nurse who actually did get married. And uh, But I'd like to know is there was a Chinese firm supposed to do a movie about the Flying Tigers, and it's a great story about Americans save China, and it was scrubbed. Can you find out why that movie was scrubbed? It was going to be a remake of that film? Uh, yeah, an up-to-date remake, a historical true story of the Flying Tigers. Um, and it was supposed to be made by a Chinese uh, production company in China, and it was scrubbed. Yeah, I, I'm, I don't know. I mean, the only thing that I could think of – thank you – is that this was absolutely a wartime propaganda film, Flying Tigers, that portrays America 
into in a great light. Like a lot in the 1940s, that's what America wanted. I mean, imagine that the American audience wanted to see uh, films that portrayed patriotism and American Americans doing good things. That's I mean, if it was a Chinese production company, I can't imagine that they had much of a desire to tell that same story the same way. 800-848-9222. Tom is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Tom. Yes, Frank. I I like to say that that, uh, the Chinese government isn't Mao's anymore. And they talk a communist line, but they act like capitalism, like even the raw capitalism that uh, victimized a lot of the workers in the early times of capitalism. You're you're right about that. You're right about Uh, that. And uh, also I'd like to say that China is better off. They have looming deserts over there. I think Beijing used to be peaking. Am I right or wrong? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, but, I believe that you are right. Certainly the yeah, duck but, was peaking. But I think you're right about that, Tom. And your anecdote, um, they have discarded some of the economic aspects of capitalism. But when it comes to limiting freedom and limiting human rights, they are more communist than ever. So it's interesting. I remember a joke that I heard many years ago from a professor of mine in college, and it was when China had just started changing their economic behavior. And this professor of mine, his name is Bertel Ullman. He's written many books, a brilliant man, but he's a communist. He's a Marxist. And he would go every year. He's one of the leading Marxists in America. He would go every year to this international communist conference, and one year it happened to be in Beijing. And Professor Ullman was always on the lookout for good uh, political jokes. And he told the story – it's not his joke, but he was just repeating it from someone else – that he sees one sign uh, that – he sees one sign that points to the right, and it says United States – and um, the car, a car on a road goes in that direction. Then there's another sign that points to the left and it says Soviet Union and a car goes in that direction. And then some rascal, some mischievous rascal switches the signs and puts the U.S. sign in the face of the in the direction of the Soviet Union and the Soviet Union sign in the direction of America. And then um, they the next car follows the Soviet sign towards America, and uh, he, he says, well, where are we going now? The driver says to, uh, the passenger says to the driver, where are we going now? What is this? What is this? And the driver responds, it's communism the Chinese way. And it is funny, but it's also pretty true. They have no problem allowing companies to make money as long as you do it their way. There was no, there's no pretense of uh, poverty or uh, elimination of private property. But there's a whole lot of oppression and a whole lot of censorship. By the way, speaking of China, I don't think you can have a conversation about China these days without having a a conversation about uh, COVID. And now uh, these COVID testing sites, these COVID um, test kits are available. 
And I do wonder, really, what good is it? You can request them for free. Six or seven people must have text messaged me yesterday saying, oh, you can request your COVID testing site here. You can request your COVID testing kit here. First of all, I think these home instant testing COVID kits are incredibly unreliable, really remarkably unreliable. Two, um, what are you supposed to do with these? I, I mean, are you supposed to test yourself all the time? Test yourself when you feel sick? Test yourself uh, in order to send to your employer or, or to your child's school that it's okay to go to school? Because it, in addition to them being unreliable if you use them properly, there's no telling whether or not people are using them honestly. Marlena Shivo, in the conversation here last week, I don't know if you read between the lines on what she was saying. I didn't want to press her on this, but it sounded to me like what she was saying. I don't think she was even concealing it, is that when it came to her daughter going to school or not, she was taking the COVID test, showing a negative result, and then sending the negative result to the school. What good are these tests? I My philosophy is if you're sick, stay home. Stay away from people. Um, this uh, and th- I guess maybe they're trying to prevent asymptomatic spread. Uh, I really think that is a poor strategy because what we're seeing with Omicron is, especially if you're vaccinated, you're not going to die. You're not going to die from Omicron. Uh, there was one doctor, uh, doctor. I think it's Rahm Emanuel's brother, Doctor Ezekiel Emanuel, said yesterday, if you're vaccinated, your chances of dying from the Omicron variant these days is one out of 34,000. So I really question this emphasis on testing. Um, I I don't really find much of a need to be testing on a regular basis because you know why? How many people are going to use these tests as uh, a means of uh, getting more sick days from work? I I have some serious questions about the utilitarianism and the utility of these tests. I, th- I say if you're sick, stay home, stay away from people. It doesn't matter if you're sick because of the flu, because of COVID, or because of a, a bad cold. Stay away from people. I, I just think that you're asking for trouble inviting everybody to take these tests, potentially get false positives, which have them staying home from work or staying home from school, further disrupting the American economy. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I just question how useful it is. Last thing I'm going to mention here uh, is a story. I want to thank this one fellow that uh, that emails me every day with a detailed criticism of th- the show on any given day. He sent me this article, and I don't know how I missed this, but did you know that with all of its problems, New York State has found the time. (laughs) New York State has actually managed to make time to outlaw little shampoo bottles in hotels. Oh, yes, that's right. Really? New York lawmakers have pushed through a new law that will ban tiny plastic toiletry bottles from hotels starting in 2025 with the threat of fines starting at $250 per violation. 
Advocates say the ban on single-use plastic bottles will address a serious environmental problem. About 33 million pounds of plastic waste wash into the world's oceans each year. So, if you're staying in a hotel in New York State, enjoy those little shampoo bottles because they are going to be banned in a hurry. 800-848-WABC. Comment as you see fit on anything we have discussed thus far. 800-848-WABC. Here is something that I think um, is also cause for concern. It's inflation. I was watching uh, a little bit of the PBS NewsHour yesterday. And do you know in the last two years, the three countries that have suffered the most in terms of inflation? Brazil, Turkey, and the United States. The United States. We are in the top three in the whole world in terms of inflation. What can you do about it for your own long-term financial security? Well, think about gold. Gold, silver, and other precious metals offer a hedge against inflation, and they can protect you in your retirement. How does it work? Well, if you have an existing retirement account, a company like Legacy Precious Metals can help you roll that into a gold or a silver IRA. You can do it, and you should consider doing it with Legacy Precious Metals. Gold should be a part of every wise investor's portfolio, and Legacy is the company that you can trust because they give you unbiased information based on your individual situation. Contact Legacy Precious Metals today. Write this number down, please. 866-932-0635. That's 866-932-0635. Or you can visit them online at LegacyPMInvestments.com. That's LegacyPMInvestments.com. If you do choose to request some free information from that website, I sincerely hope you will make sure that you tell them you heard about it from me, Frank Moreno. Uh, this is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Straight ahead. WABC. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Side of midnight. That's Bruce Springsteen. Uh, I always, I've had uh, my whole life, I've had like a block. I can never tell the difference between, um, not never, occasionally. Uh, I have difficulty confusing Bruce Springsteen, Bon Jovi, and Billy Joel. Must be the B in there. I don't know why. I know they don't necessarily have the same styles of music, but uh, I don't know. Something about their 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 appeal, I guess. I don't know what it is. Uh, 800-848-WABC. I will take your calls in just a moment. 800-848-9222. If you want to to comment uh, on anything we're covering, give me a call. 
In the meantime, uh, let me give you an uh, an update on the Rayos contest we were running. Uh, you can see the details of this by looking at the video on my Facebook page at facebook.com slash MoranoFan, uh, where we explain the rules of the contest. There are only about 30 opportunities left. We've sold about 70 of these one of 100 chances for this dinner at Rayo's on April 19th. It's your choice whether you want me to come with you or not. But if you're interested, you can go online, facebook.com slash MoranoFan, to... Um, Watch the video, see the rules, and you can Venmo me $30 if you want. Uh, but in the meantime... You know what really grinds my gears? I'll tell you what drives me absolutely crazy. There are all sorts of people that belong to the Facebook group. And the Facebook group is Morano Radio Fans and Haters. It's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. There's all sorts of people that belong to the group and read all the comments and even comment themselves... But they clearly are not listening to the radio show. And I get and sometimes they'll even text me. They'll say, oh, uh, what's this I hear about this uh, wedding? Uh, where is it? Whose wedding is it? Uh, you know, wh- wh- when is it? Uh, what's the story? And all I want to do is scream at these people and say, if you would just listen to the radio show, you would have the answer to all these questions. Instead, you want a private radio performance you want to glom you're making decisions and making and forming opinions about things that i've said on the radio without actually listening to me say them it's so annoying it's almost like not seeing a film and making a decision about uh something that happens in the film only on the review of the film it's it's so stupid. So those of you that are listening to this show, we need you to step up even more. And um, in that Facebook group, Morano Radio Fans and Haters, make your opinion heard. But if you can, do what Ellen does. Ellen, who's great, she provides great conversation starters. She provides proper context to the opinions that she's offering every day. So we need you guys that listen to the show to help out the ignorant among us even more who choose only to participate in the Facebook group, but not necessarily listen to the show. The other thing that drives me crazy, and again, I know that the show is on at an inconvenient time, but you can listen to the podcast. Just search um, The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano on Spotify, on iTunes, on uh, Google Podcasts, or go to WABCRadio.com, anywhere podcasts are available. Just search The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. drives me crazy when... A friend will call me or I'll run into a friend or a family member and then they'll say, hey, what's your opinion on X? And they'll ask my opinion on something that I've spent hours talking about, hours talking about. And again, these are people that want a private radio show. Oh, you know, hey, uh, what do you think of this Russia-Ukraine situation? Well, I don't know. I just spent an hour talking about it. Can't you be bothered to listen I'm sorry if I seem testy, but I I don't mind that you don't listen. I mean, I do. I prefer that you listen, but don't then want to have a conversation. Don't demand a command performance just for you about my opinions on something. It's 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 so irritating. Put it, Mama Luke. Thank you, Curtis. To his credit, he says a lot of things that are inaccurate on his radio program, but he always will at least. Listen to the show. 
as he wildly distorts whatever it is that I'm saying. The people that comment to me anecdotally or comment in the Facebook group, they're not listening. That's why people shouldn't get upset, too upset about the the comments in the Facebook group. Um, And lastly, just, you know, in that Facebook group, you can see, and a big thank you to Donna in Huntington for taking these photos. She took photos of this uh, free blockbuster box in Long Island. I really want to do this. And if you missed my interview, it was really so interesting last week where this guy is essentially setting up these mini libraries, these mini free libraries for videotapes, good old-fashioned VHS videotapes. You can put a tape in there. You can take a tape out. And he's keeping this art of VHS tapes alive, and I love what he's doing. And I wanted to do one in front of my home, but so far my wife has been reluctant to get on board with that. Uh, I'm And my mom, she's reluctant to get on board with that. I'm hoping that somebody in my neighborhood will will think twice about it and start one because I have a lot of tapes that I want to contribute. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Alan in Fort Lauderdale. Hello, Alan. Good morning, Frank. I listen to your show very often because I have to get up early to go to dialysis. And I just wanted to comment on the Chinese films that you were talking about. There were films back in the 90s, like The Last Emperor and um, another film with five mothers and their daughters at a reunion. And each of the mothers had a story about their their, uh, relationship to China. And they were not positive in any way, shape, or form. And it's too bad that that type of information is no longer being Alan, uh, Alan, you're you're exactly right. And there's so many other films that I could name. There's a wonderful film with Richard Gere called Red Corner. I think it's called Red Corner. And um, it's all about the level of political oppression in China. And as I mentioned, seven years in Tibet. But when Columbia TriStar got slapped with that five-year suspension from f- distributing films in China, these... These film studios, these multi-billion dollar corporations all folded like a cheap camera. And they they had no interest in telling the truth about China. They had an interest in bending over backwards to China. And now China's telling them, tough, we're, we're not distributing your films anyway. 800-848-WABC. Um, I, uh, I don't want to get into another call here because we won't be able to do justice. Those of you that are holding... Uh, keep holding. We'll get to you in just a minute. And uh, for the rest of you, you can email me at frank.morano at wabcradio.com or find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash moranofan. Uh, also on Twitter at Frank Morano. Uh, and even on Instagram at moranovision. That's M-O-R-A-N-O vision. In the meantime, in the words of the great Bob Grant, Robert Ciro Giganti, your influence counts. You might as well use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Been running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Well, 
the Swan Silvertones. I'm not tired. Yeah, I love this song. Um, love the lyrics. I love the beat. Love everything about it. But there's something about this song which really serves to put me in such a good mood. It's one of the reasons I play it. Because I, I feel like uh, if you're at home alone, or if you're driving in the car, uh, maybe after a long night of working or a long night of being out, especially if you're by yourself, something like that really serves to buoy your spirit. And these are the times where we really need things like this more than ever. We are, I don't know, um, this stretch of winter is very depressing for a lot of people. It's cold out. It's dark out all the time. And it has a lot of people suffering from what they call seasonal affective disorder. You've probably heard about this seasonal affective disorder or SAD. There's less daylight, so you get less vitamin D, and you get depressed. And the wintertime in general makes you want to hibernate. This seasonal affective disorder, they say it's a form of recurrent depression with a seasonal pattern that occurs more frequently the farther people live from the equator. So if you're in the Northeast, for instance, it's a real bummer. The winter blues, sometimes they call it. They say it peaks on the third Monday in January, which is sometimes called Blue Monday. And if you look at where we are now, that was two days ago. That was Blue Monday. So I'm betting, of course, it's not just confined to one day. But I'm betting a lot of you are feeling down in the dumps. So some of the symptoms that they say are indicative of seasonal affective disorder are sadness, low energy, fatigue, losing interest in activities that were once enjoyed, changes in appetite, changes in weight, changes in sleep patterns, changes in in all sorts of things, social withdrawal. So I was talking to my wife yesterday, and really, since November 25th, with the exception of going to my mother's, going to my father's, going to the grocery store, and two occasions last weekend where we went out to a restaurant to eat with our child and and going to church, with those very few exceptions, and one or two times where she went to get her nails done, My wife has not left our house since November 25th when she gave birth to our son. So we were talking yesterday about seasonal affective disorder. And um, I try and do my best to buoy her spirits. But she basically said, you know, for somebody like me that's stuck home all day, I really can't go outside, can't do a lot of things that I really enjoy doing. And get sort of in a rut. I really wonder if there are solutions that people recommend. And I do my best to, you know, to help lift her mood. We're going out, I think, on Friday evening for our first um, date night as a couple without our child. um, When my sister is good enough to watch our, our son. But I thought I might ask you if you have any solutions, not just for her. But for anyone that's dealing with seasonal affective disorder, give me a call, 800-848-9222. 
They say the winter blues peak this week. What would you recommend to somebody? I remember years ago, I've told you this story before, but I dated a woman. um, She was from Lithuania. So I became, by our second date, the world's leading expert in Lithuania. And I said to her, well, you know, uh, one of the facts that I found about with Lithuania was that it leads the um, it leads Europe in suicide, or at least it did at the time I was dating this girl. And uh, I said, well, why is that? I found that very curious. And she told me that it was because of a lack of vitamin D, believe it or not, a lack of vitamin D. And I think there's some truth to that. I think the lack of sun really does allow people to be depressed more so than they would. In my case, it's a little different. I mean, um, when I leave for work, it's dark. And then when I drive home from work, except on Fridays when we have to stay a little later, it's dark. So it's always dark for me. I live my life in the shadows. But for somebody uh, like uh, my wife, Rachel, who even when she was working from home, sometimes she'd work when it was a nice day in the spring or the summer, even the fall sometimes, she'd work uh, in our backyard. You know, enjoy the sun. Now, what do you do? Any strategies, any uh, uh, tips in terms of sensory stimulus? Maybe it's music. Maybe it's uh, a television. Maybe it's a book. Maybe it's some bizarre, some light, uh, a weird type of light that mimics maybe a, a sun lamp, something that mimics what it's like to get regular light. Or is there no solution? Maybe that's why everybody's moving to Florida. 800-848-WABC, if you have a comment, that's 800-848-9222. You can comment on other issues if you, if you like as well. I know Jeannie in Manhattan has been patiently holding. Hello, Jeannie. Yeah, hi. Hi. Hi there. Hi. Um, I wanted to bring you back to Tonga. All right, sure. Okay. Um, I uh, read in the newspaper about that volcanic action, and I saw the... Uh, photographs they took from the sky of uh, what had happened uh, to the uh, island, how it had been a single mass and broken two, and then it was now a single mass again, and uh, how they still hadn't had any telephone contact with Tonga to find out more about it. Uh, So tonight you're hearing uh, that conversation with Mr. Masters was just fascinating because it was like... uh, you're talking with Dr. Sky. Oh, I thought it was really interesting. I, I, I'm going to have him back. I'm looking forward to having back him back. I know, but but what you were giving us was another astronomy lesson. I, I, so uh, I'm, I'm not sure whether to register that in the complaint department or the compliment department. Oh, Gina. wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Fast I'll take it. Frank, Frank my, my battery-operated radio does wonderful things for me. Wonderful. Well, I love hearing that. And believe it or not, you're right. Uh, the Tongans don't have access to uh, telephones right now. But I did get an email from one listener who said some of the ham radios are working in Tonga and they're using ham radio to communicate with the outside world, believe it or not. For God's sake, my uncle was a ham operator. Uh-huh. 
Imagine that, Jeannie. Jeannie, thanks for the call. Yes. Thank you for listening. Thank you for calling. Okay. God bless. Bye-bye. Likewise. Take care. 800-848-WABC. So far, we have uh, a grand total of zero suggestions on how to combat seasonal affective disorder. If you want to help grow our list of suggestions, or maybe there is nothing. <laughs> maybe I just, like to maybe, guzzle liquor. Maybe it's just antidepressants. 800-848-WABC. Robert is in Manhattan. Hello, Robert. Yes. Uh, good morning, Frank. Good morning. Listen, uh, apropos to the issue of China, the Chinese people have labored under a, a culture which has persisted, in essence, for the last 4,000 years, almost virtually until the last century or so, uninterrupted. The, the presence of America, the inception of America, and especially moving into the late 1800s and early 1900s, it, it struck China as, as a rock would in someone's head. It just woke them up out of a, the doldrums of the past. Um, you look at the, the effect of the United States on Asian countries, such as Japan, of course, a dramatic effect as a result of World War II. And also China over the last 150 years. It's interesting to note, by the way, that the Chinese, if you look at the language, the Mandarin tongue and the written language especially, the character for self, like the pronoun I or me or what have you, is represented by a character which is analyzed as a hand holding a sword. It's a form, it, it, it suggests it's some uh, form of aggression. Right, or, that's or, what it sounds like, yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. The problem is, is that what the Chinese have done, in essence, is they are pretty much like someone who's gone to a salad bar in a, in a restaurant. They've taken whatever they wanted from here and taken whatever they wanted from there. And apparently they've come up with a mishmash. They've taken some communist elements and some uh, Western elements. And this is the current state of China. It's basically a communist capitalist country. If, you, if you've ever traveled or been to Beijing... It's it's basically a nightmare of very 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 staunch regulations and uh, rules, and yet at the same time, people you get the impression that you're somehow in 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 an early stage of Midtown Manhattan. You have people spending money, well dressed, and such. It's it's reminiscent of New York in a way, in a very weak way. But the the whole idea is that the evolution of China as it's going forward is basically in a state of stagnancy because, look, you have a major country of a billion and a half or more people running their society on energy based from coal, okay? Whereas you look at the West, we have oil and nuclear and, and natural gas. They, they wanted to become westernized, in essence, and it's become, become compulsory for all people in China to be westernized to some extent yet adhere very strictly and firmly to the, the basic uh, dictates of communism. What, what, what astonishes me is that they won't make that final step, that final transition into a society where there is some form of reasonability. I mean, you look at the situation with the Uyghurs, okay, and they say, well, look, the United States, what did they tell Blinken at one of the conferences? They, he was complaining about, oh, the people, the Uyghurs being forced labor and such, and sterilization. What's intriguing is they started jumping up and down off their chairs in China about 
the issue of uh, the abuse of African-Americans in this country, which virtually does not exist. It's nothing the way it was from, from 150 years ago. Okay, so you have, a, you, have a, you have basically a crossroads that has to be reached. What the Chinese did, by the way, with the coronavirus is they created an overwhelming self-consciousness among people. They, the spread of the virus is, is intriguing because in, in no such case has, has a, a pandemic of global proportions ever manifested itself the same way as the, the Chinese uh, virus, what they call the uh, all right, Robert. I'm a, I'm a little bored. I'm a little bored. You know, Robert had a lot of good information. He had some good points, but then you just got to a point. Where, you just get to a point where I don't know. I, I was I was getting kind of bored. I I I don't mean to be disrespectful of what he was saying, but anyone it becomes a little boring. Anyone? At some point. All right. And in terms of um, helpful tips for beating seasonal affective disorder, that again leaves our total of helpful hints at zero. Point zero. 800-848-WABC. Karen is in Woodbridge. Now, Karen, I see on our monitor here that you spell your name with a Y rather than an E. Is that accurate? Um, it is. And I changed it when I was 12 years old. And my mom said that was okay because her name was Sally with a Y. And when she was in college, she changed her knee, name to uh, Sally with an E. Now, so wait, she wait. had no problem. How was your name spelled prior to you being 12? Um, at birth and baptism, it was with an E. What, and ma- then what, my what, girlfriend's, what made you change it to Karen with a Y? Well, one day my girlfriends and I were bored. We're sitting around a kitchen table, and we're deciding different ways we could spell our name. And somebody came up with a Y for me, and everyone agreed that's how it has to be. So I figured, okay, that seemed nice. I'm 12 years old. Uh, I go home and I tell my mom, you know, and uh, I'm thinking, well, she'll probably let me do it for the rest of the summer, but then I'll have to go back to the E. And but uh, she said, no, I actually like the Y. And she had, in fact, changed her name of the spelling of right, her I name. Right. I heard that, Sally. Right. Now, yes. um, but if it's pronounced the same, what difference does it make if it's Karen with an E or Karen with a Y? Uh, I felt like it. I don't know. I felt like it uh, just changed my personality. Yeah, well, okay. Good for you. Karen, um, give me your tips for beating seasonal affective disorder. Oh, yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, I am a nurse, uh, but that, that's, not, that's not the reason I came up with these tips. Uh, I've, I've seen a picture of your home. You have a lovely new home. Lovely. And I don't know where the sun shines, like if you get the morning sun in the front or the back, you know, except, but do you have a sunroom? And if you don't, could you add one? Uh, possibly like heated and air conditioned, and that way your wife could spend time there. When I my first son was born in Florida, we lived in Florida at the time, and my doctor, my pediatrician, said put your baby in the window every morning for at least two to three hours while he's taking his nap, so he can get vitamin D through the window. In other words, you don't want to put him out in the hot Florida sun, but at least put him near a sunny window so he can get vitamin D. And then we don't have to worry about supplementing because I was breastfeeding Mm. uh, at that time. And he said he'll get plenty of vitamin D through the sunny window. So I'm thinking uh, it would benefit your son, uh, Carmine, 
and uh, and your wife. Well, that's uh, an idea. We have a room. Um, it's not quite a sun room, but it does get a lot of sun, uh, and we do spend uh, a lot of time there. But I'm not even necessarily talking about. And thanks for the call, Karen. Good luck continuing to be named Karen with a Y. I'm not even necessarily talking about our situation. I'm just looking for some helpful hints that everybody can use. Because I'm betting there's a lot of people, especially if folks find themselves awake right now, either because of work or they can't sleep or whatever the case may be, there's a lot of people that are dealing with this, being depressed around this time of year. And look, the statistics show that that's the case. And I'd like to give some helpful hints that are good for everybody. Not just uh, not just my wife, Rachel, but everybody. 800-848-WABC. Let me say hello to Pamela in central New Jersey. Hello, Pamela. Hello. Um, I love animals, and uh, I love the outdoors. So when you're stuck in the house, I uh, you can do uh, two good things. Enjoy the outdoors and help animals. I have bird feeders set up and a squirrel section. And while I'm washing dishes, I get a kick out of watching them. And while you're stuck in the house, at least you feel connected to the outdoors. Okay, well, that's good. I like that, actually. Um, and, yeah, that's not that's not a bad suggestion. That's very good. And I think that would work well for a lot of people. I got one SMS text message here from Curtis Lewa. He said, I should take a page from Sid Rosenberg's playbook and take my wife tanning. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that we're going to do that. Wow. But whatever works for you. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Al Spectacular. is in New Jersey. Hello, Al. Hey, how are you tonight, kid? Uh, yeah, uh, a feel-good movie is my suggestion. Uh, I got a great DVD sent by my son Steve from L.A. as a gift, and it was called La La Land, and it won six Academy Awards. And it is a terrific feel-good movie with Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. And the very opening of the movie, Frank, where uh, you see the Hollywood free one of the Hollywood freeways, and suddenly there's a big traffic jam. Yeah, that, that's great. That is a great scene. You know, and everybody's out on the roof of their car singing like they are in a Gene Kelly movie. I mean, it's great. So my feeling is that, uh, yeah, go... Get one of these feel-good movies, and you'll feel good. Ah, that's a good one. Any other recommendations other than La La Land that you want to recommend? Yeah. Uh, the, an earlier caller said something about the John Wayne movie, uh, which... Uh, the Flying Tigers. The Flying Tigers. Yeah. You know, I, I think I might have that one, actually. I have to look. I, I'm a big John Wayne fan, and uh, I did recently get a collection of about 40 John Wayne films, and that might be included there. I, I want to say that... Uh, most of the John Wayne movies are feel-good movies. Yeah, I, mean, I, I would agree with that. Anyway, thanks for taking my call. Thank you. I'm going to actually invite – I had the opportunity a couple of years ago to meet John Wayne's son, Patrick, who's also in the movie uh, The Searchers as well as a few other films. And uh, maybe I'll invite Patrick on the on the show to uh, chat about uh, – I don't know, all sorts of things. 800-848-9222. Chuck is in Bayside. Chuck, were you on already? No, sir. Not tonight. All right. Okay. Uh, we're keeping you honest there, Chuck. Okay. What's on your mind? All right. All right. Um, feel good, manic depressive. Uh, turn off the news. Turn off media. Um John Wayne is a perfect example of feel good, anything that makes you not have to think about what we're going through today, 
Some, and, you know, there's only so many movies you can watch before you get tired of them, although I never get tired of John Wayne. Me and my whole family are big buffs of his, and I'm going to go to his museum this year in his home city of Winterset, Iowa. And um, I, I self-medicate my depression, which they call it depression. I don't know what it is, but I smoke, drink coffee, stay up at night. And it's just a little different than most people's normal thought of their daily routine of daytime up. And the vitamin D thing works. And also, um, we need to boycott China completely. They are a horror show. And what but else it, you know what? Um, That's one of those things where it, it's easier said than done. And I've tried to do it. And I make I it. I make it about four days uh, with with without using, and that's with putting in a lot of effort. These these test kits, by the way, these COVID test kits that they're sending to people's houses for free, even those are made in in China. If you could believe that, Joe Biden's getting the kickback. You know that. Yeah. Also, check out Switzerland. Switzerland's got something to do with the world uh, money, and there's all kinds of little shenanigans going on that nobody talks about yeah but they, they make the they make great cheese though i mean oh well yeah and that beautiful blonde women you know exactly so that's two points beans. two two points in their favor hey um Frank, if i love your banter between you and i listen to sliwa you guys are great going at each other which makes me so like what's with these guys it's like they they yap about the other guy more than they yap about what's going on. In the world. I think it's like a nice comical skit like I'm in Costello you guys got going on. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, uh, Chuck. I, and the, <laughs> the truth is I I really hold back a lot uh, with Curtis because uh, when it comes to matching wits, you know, uh, I'm a major league. I'm a major leaguer and Curtis is low single oh A, right? So okay. he's so I pat you on the back right now. <laughs> he can't he can't compete with me in terms of wit. He can't even remember things. Like so much of his show on the weekend and I like it. I listen. But so but you... much so much of his show on the weekend aside from replaying my comments and criticizing them, it's him trying to remember things. See, when I was his okay. producer, no he I... has though. He has a great way of talking. That's true. That's true. I'm like a person of no consequence. That's true. (laughs) That's true. What is your favorite uh, John Wayne film, uh, by the way, if you had to pick one? Oh, my God. So many. I I still cried at Big Jake. Oh, that is great. True Grit, I have to go with because the cast and it just, I love that whole chase scene and and, uh, Robert Duvall, right? True Grit. Um Oh, my God, so many. The searches, you know, after you watch them a hundred times, you start looking at the background characters. Yeah. Like Yakima Kamut and Ben Johnson and all the other guys that John Wayne had in his crew. And you see where they've been, what they've done since then or before. And I'm always like, who's still alive today that worked with John Wayne? There are still some people out there. That worked with him. I mean, Catherine, I mean, Maureen O'Hara just passed away a few years ago. But there are men actors out there that still have recollections of this. So I'd love to get their stories. I hope to meet some of them if they're guests at the museum when I go around John Wayne's birthday on May 26th. And Clint Eastwood even has a crew. And we're always debating who's better, Clint or Duke. It's totally different. You know, Duke was at a time when the world was kind of normal. You know, Clint came along. He was the the undershadow of, of truth and law. John Wayne was always, he never wore black. He was always in the middle of being good and bad, but he would never be bad. He, 
He particularly told all his directors and scriptwriters he cannot be depicted as the bad guy. Well, ever. yeah. By the way, Sidney Poitier, same thing. He would only right. be uh, depicted as a character uh, with fine moral values. But uh, I love The Searchers might be my favorite. I love True Grit as well. But another film that I don't think gets its just due, at least not in the year 2022, that I absolutely loved. And it was probably John Wayne's only big movie in the 30s, Stagecoach. Have you seen Stagecoach? Oh, my God. A million times. With a very young John Wayne. That is a a classic. Chuck, thank you for the... uh, I love Andy Devine. Oh, my God. You know what? The shooters, as sad as it is. Yep. I love watching it because my dad died young, and I still tear up with when I know he's going to die. And Ron Howard, and I wish I could have played Ron Howard's part, or I wish I could even have like a, a cigarette butt that John Wayne threw out. Yeah, That's that was his I, last. That was his last is. film, right? The Shootist. Yes, sir. Yeah, that was a good. What was one. his last appearance? He was on TV, a TV commercial, an ad for uh, I don't know if it was cigarettes or something. Oh no, for health. Somebody to get checked for cancer. That's what it was. You know, but his last movie was The Shooters. Yes, sir. 1976. Yeah. No, it, and it, he died in 79. Yeah, that is a uh, a fine, fine film. A, a great, great actor. Oh, I love when the when Richard Boone, this is for Yeah, I'm just glad uh, I'm just glad Alec Baldwin wasn't around in those days, Chuck. Thank you. 800-848-WABC. You know, it's funny. Uh there was a film and you probably have heard this story before. It was a fi- there was a film called The Conqueror uh with John Wayne and uh, a number of other people and they f- they filmed this near parts of the film were shot in Utah right near where the government had done nuclear testing and there were the cast and crew spent many weeks at these sites it was produced by Howard Hughes and uh lo and behold of the 220 film members the members of this film crew the conqueror it, and including John Wayne 91 of them 91 that's 41% and change, developed cancer during their lifetime, while 46 died from it. When they learned that, a lot of people started suspecting that filming near these nuclear test sites might have been the cause from that. Even the director died of cancer seven years after the film release. Today, forget about it. There'd be 900, 900 lawsuits all about that. But uh, John Wayne is great. There's simply nobody like him. John Wayne. Uh, squeeze in. A, hey, so I, you, this weekend, I think we are going to Long Island. But uh, even if we were home, I think we'd probably do a lot of football watching this weekend. But how great does that sound? The next blizzard that has me stuck home, I want to do a John Wayne movie marathon now. That would be so much fun. It'd be great. 800-848-WABC. Uh, if you have a, a tip for any of our listeners who are suffering from Seasonal Affective Disorder. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Martha, Martha, Martha. Hello, Martha. Good morning. How are you this morning? Uh, Well, there are varying opinions on that, but I'd say I'm doing decently. (laughs) 
Okay. Um, I just told your, you know, the person that answers your phone calls, I said, when people wake up in the morning, if they could just think of three gratitudes that they're grateful for in their life, um, I think that we kind of a, a starter, so to speak. And what I do throughout the day, if I have a problem or if I just want to get away from the world, so to speak, I put on um, Rush Hour 1 or Rush Hour 2 or Rush Hour 3, of which you know Jackie Chan is Chinese, and I love Chris Tucker to death. And I just laugh hysterically throughout the movie, and I go about my business at the same time. That may be helpful to some people. Yeah, you know, and a lot and that, that that is a great film. And what you're saying about uh, gratitude, if you research what you're saying, uh, there actually is a, a Harvard Health Review, which shows there are a tremendous amount of health benefits to to gratitude. One study. People who wrote consistently about gratitude in a diary, basically, almost exactly what you're suggesting, they were not just happier with their lives and more optimistic. They also ended up exercising more and making fewer visits to doctors. The other studies have shown associations with better sleep and increased generosity. So I think that suggestion is actually a good one. Do you do, you do that? Do you practice that, Martha? I do try it. I don't do it religiously, but I I do try it, especially when I'm starting to feel down. And I say, wait a minute, now let me get, let me collect myself and let me begin from the beginning. It's, you know, you get up, you're grateful that you wake up, you're grateful that you know you have good family, good friends, etc., stuff like that. You know, and that you don't have COVID. <laughs> yeah, that that, that, that's for sure. So that's that, a beginner. That's, that's a starter. That's good. Thank you very very much. Eight hundred. Eight four eight nine two two two. You know, it's funny if you read Norman Vincent Peale's book, *The Power of Positive Thinking*. There's a whole bunch of selections in that book about the power of praying and expressing gratitude, and it really does do wonders for your mental health. So I actually love that suggestion from Martha. And if it becomes a difficult thing to do, if you can't just think about it, I, I love the writing down, uh, keeping a daily journal. I've gotten away from journaling to some extent, and I, I want to get back to it. But uh, there's a lot of things I want to try to find the time for. Mikey is in central New Jersey. Hello, Mikey. Good morning, Frank. How are you? Well, um, the, the, you know, I think I'm doing okay, to be honest. I got two feel-good movies. One is St. Ralph, starring Adam Butcher and Campbell Scott. It's about a 12-year-old boy who goes to a private school up in northern New England, a Catholic school, and he runs the Boston Marathon. He gets trained by Campbell Scott. It's great. Uh, I've never so seen that. One, I've never seen that. I'll check it out. What's your other independent, one? Independent, of course. I went to film school here. The second one is Millions by Danny Boyle. Oh, I like Danny Boyle, uh, but I don't know that I've seen that picture. It's about two young boys in England. It's the time when the pound is changing to the euro. So there's a big robbery, and these crooks get away with it and put it in a train. The children are playing beside the... Yeah, don't, don't give away too much of the plot, Mikey, though, in case people want well, they, to see it. they throw the money out because they're being raised by the cops, so the kids find the money in a certain amount of time because the pound is going to the euro. So you got to decide what they're going to do with it. All right, well, I, I will... Uh, I'll put both on my list. Thank you, Mikey. 800-848-9222. Al is calling from Manhattan. Hello, Al. Good morning, Mr. Serrano. Yeah, you got to get out to Arizona uh, where those John Wayne movies were filmed. It's stunning. I've gone there, Cayenta, Arizona, and you're going into Monument Valley. So there's a road, and you actually drive right into Utah, and it's just one red monolith, 
after the other, just like in the searches and stagecoach. Incredible. Got to go there. And they got the four corners of there, Colorado, Arizona, Utah, and uh, New Mexico. And then in the middle, they have a little circle. You go around in your car or you can put all four fingers in the size of a half dollar. That's where they meet. And they sell uh, Indian bread there. It's quite delicious. Hmm. But well worth it. Sounds as far good. as your wife is. Well, and I'm not necessarily to... talking specifically for her, but like just well, anybody, anybody in general here, here. listening. Okay, here's a good thing. Mark Rubio is eventually maybe long-term going to solve it to take one month away. They already did that a couple of years ago. So March 13th is seven and a half weeks. That's going to be a beautiful day. You know why? 7 p.m., sunlight. So that's coming, March 13th, very close. So here's the thing. First thing, vitamin D3. She should take 5,000 milligrams with K2. And again, I, I, not, not necessarily her, but just anybody. Anybody. Here's why. Quite simply, the sun's angle is like 23 degrees in, in the wintertime. You're not getting that sun. The body's designed for how it was 500 years ago, meaning sun goes down, your body wants one thing, complete darkness. It doesn't want an iPhone 13 uh, emitting rays and all that other crap. And light, light is the killer. When you sleep, tell your wife and yourself, because you really especially, it's going to affect your memories and courtesies later on. Here's the problem. You form all your memories if you have complete darkness. Well, that's why and Curtis can't remember anything. He is definitely, and I hate to say it, the shift you guys are on, I was on it many, many years, is a killer. Yeah. You know, you walk in like like the, you walk in the way you are, like, you know, like, oh, you could be a movie star guy, but you're going to maybe walk out like Richard Dawson, you know, because it's cool. This shift does a number on your body. But anyway, here's the other things I do. You got a widescreen TV? Uh, I think so. I think so. Listen, here's what you do. Can she, so it's a smart TV. Can you go to YouTube? Yes. Good. So here's what I want you to do. Is she a travel aficionado? Uh, I wouldn't say so, no. No? All right. Because there's a million of them. You know, you can put Globe Trekker on every day, get new episodes. She should plan, look forward for things. As the kid gets bigger and bigger, you're going to be able to go a lot further. Say, hey, we're going to go on a trip to Montreal. We're going to go to Annapolis. Uh, we'll go up to Narragansett. Things that she could, like, we'll go to Lake George. I mean, for short trips. We'll go to the vineyards out in the island. Another thing is if a tsunami ever should come, remember this. For her, because she's out on the island there, head to where Juliet is, that's 400 feet. That's the highest point in Long Island. But for you, go up to Tote Hill. That's the highest point. All right. Okay. You know? Thank you, Will. Uh, Matt Blaze is now not only wanting me to break, but he's standing up making the break sign. So the last thing we want is an unhappy Matt Blaze. Uh, so uh, I'll tell you what we will do. If you want an opportunity to win $1,000, that's something that could put a smile on your face. Be the seventh caller to 1-800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. And uh, if you are the seventh caller and you've never done the $1,000 minute before, we are going to give you 60 seconds to uh, see if you can answer 10 trivia questions correctly. Straight ahead. In the mouth. Somebody. Somebody ought to belt you in the mouth. The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. 
Oh, yes, that's right. Answer 10 questions correctly, win $1,000. Answer 9 questions correctly, win $500. Answer 8 questions correctly, win $100. Let's meet today's contestant, Carl in Harrison. Uh, Harrison is up in Westchester. Carl? Uh, Yes, it is, on the East Coast. Okay, great. Uh, East Coast of Westchester. Yes. All right. That sounds good. All right, Carl, you're uh, you're familiar with this contest, I take it. Yes, I am. I've heard it many a night. Okay. So I will uh, I will spare you and others me repeating all the rules. You ready to go? Yes, I am. What is the official language of Italy? Italian. What religion does the Pope belong to? Catholic. What president resigned as a result of the Watergate scandal? Nixon. What cable news network does Tucker Carlson's show air on? Uh, Fox. What planet was Superman born on? Krypton. Who wrote the book The Great Gatsby? Oh, um, uh, Fitzgerald. What is the term used for the perimeter of a circle? I'll repeat the question. What is the term used for perimeter of a circle? Uh, the, the, uh, the perimeter. The uh, well, It's not pi. It's um, circumference. What WABC radio talk show host? Uh, I'm sorry. We're, we're out of time there, though. Um, but uh, that was very, very good, Carl. Had you not... Um, Taken an extra second on the Great Gatsby and um, and circumference, I think you would have uh, won. Hey, let's see how you would have done. I know it's going to torture you if you got the last three questions right, but you want to humor me and see how you would have done if you would have won the thousand. Absolutely. All right, absolutely. So no, the next question was: What WABC radio talk show host is heard in this time slot on Saturday and Sunday morning? Carl. Oh, uh, in this time slot, uh, um, uh, oh, is hey, it now Curtis not. Lewell? Sorry? I say, is it now Curtis Lewell? It is. Okay, so you would have gotten that one correct. What is the, this is the ninth question, this is what it would have been. What is the capital city of Canada? Oh, I don't think I know that. Take a guess. I'll guess Ottawa. That would have been correct. That would have been correct. Oh, wow. And the 10th question, and this is uh, pretty easy for a 10th question. I'm curious how you would have done here. What is used to make hummus? (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) Take a guess. Do you want to take a guess? Wheat? No, it's not weird. It's chickpeas. But uh, you did really well, Carl. Um, find something really nice to send, Carl. I don't know if we have a diamond-encrusted hat or something. Or uh, I don't know. Give him, give, find something. we got to give him an extra little something. He did very well. Better than a lot of people have done in quite some time. So take Carl's information, and hopefully we can send him something, something nice uh, there, Ryan. Thank you. All right. Well, that was nice. At least Carl made it competitive. See? He didn't. He, he didn't get thrown by those trick questions of what's another name for feline. He he stayed in the game. Stayed in the game. He's got to be slightly quicker, and he would have at least won five hundred bucks, right? All right. Uh, we'll play again tomorrow if you didn't get through today. And uh, you know, I, I think these are fair questions. 
Honestly, I really do. I think these are very, very fair questions. It blends a lot of different disciplines, right? Uh, all right, 800-848-9222. Let me take one quick break here because according to Matt Blasey Ford, we have uh, a lot of of spots in this hour, so I don't want to get too backed up and lose time for uh, 15 seconds of fame. Meantime, I'll tell you some stories when we come back. I'll take your calls, and then we will get to 15 seconds of fame. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead. W-A-B-C. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I am Frank Morano. I want to encourage you, if you listen to the show, join the Facebook group. Just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook. We're looking for more conversation starters. You know, for instance, a good way to start a conversation is what Svetlana did yesterday. She said, this is my first post. I wasn't listening to Frank Morano from the beginning because I was used to the other hosts after midnight before him, and I needed my politics more. But the more I was listening to Frank, I've realized that he's exactly what I needed at that time of the night. Even though I wish he was more political, but I've learned so many things listening to him like about UFO. Frank is growing on me. I love the variety of his show. I know that I have to sleep at night, but he's making me stay up longer than usual. And then different people commented. Some people agreed. Some people disagreed. That's what we want. Conversation starters in that group there. So just search Morano Radio. Fans and haters. Hey, speaking of radio, we have, um, you know, Jennifer Grodd is very good with booking guests for all the shows. Uh, most of the guests uh, that you hear on this show, I generally book myself. Every once in a while, a, a listener uh, like uh, Evelyn in Bayonne, she'll pitch in with booking a guest now and again. But um, mostly it's just me. So we could certainly use the help. And the station is apparently hired, has hired another guest booker. So our program director, Matt Meany, who's doing a great job, he said, all right, we want to create a master list of guests for all the shows that Elizabeth can book from. And so he said to all of the hosts, he said, send me a list of all 25 of your dream guests. I think he said in in order of preference. And so I, I got him my list right away. Right away. Same day. Like within minutes of receiving this, this email. And then... Um, he said, I need this, need this by the end of the, the, the business day on Wednesday. And then he sends out a reminder. Good evening, everyone. Rem- this is on Tuesday. We're expecting your wish lists by the end of day on Wednesday. Okay. So then Monday comes around. The following Monday. He says, good evening, everyone. 
For those who have sent over their wish lists, thank you. For those who have not, please send them when you please send them so we can get to work on them ASAP. So then I say, I feel like those of us that sent them in promptly, like me, I got this in right away, we should get preferential treatment in terms of how these guests are allocated. Because there are some guests that only work for my show, right? If the guy's talking about time travel or ghosts or reincarnation or the Kennedy assassination or um, or aliens, you know, come on, that's only going to work for me. But there are other guests that work for all the shows, like um, Barry Weiss, for instance. That's somebody that everybody wants on, uh, or people of that nature. And I, I'm of the belief that those of us that got our guest requests in promptly and on time or early, we should get preferential treatment. So when I saw Matt here yesterday, the uh, program director, Matt Meany, uh, he kind of gave me a wink that that would be the case, that those of us that got our guest lists in promptly would get preferential treatment. So hopefully that's the case. We'll see. But uh, it, it is uh, nice to have the extra help from Elizabeth, who I haven't met yet, but uh, everyone has nothing but great things to say about. I'm looking forward to meeting her and uh, certainly looking forward to working with her. I think she'll fit in really well. Jennifer Grodd, who does a lot of the guest booking, she does just a wonderful job on all the shows. See, a lot of times you don't appreciate on Russian Independence Day or Russian New Year or Martin Luther King Jr. Day or Columbus Day when there's a whole day filled with Italian guests or Russian guests or Jewish guests or Asian guests. Jennifer has to book all those people. She has to find all those people and book them and then arrange them and schedule them on top of what she does for all the other shows, weekend and weekday. So she does a great job. We're really very lucky to have Jennifer, uh, let me say. Well, uh, let me take one more call here before we get to 15 seconds of fame because Deborah in Manorville has been patiently holding. Hello, Deborah. Well, hi. Hi. Your name is Frank. Uh, when last seen? Oh, Frank, it's my first time, so just forgive me. And your show is wonderful. Well, that's awfully nice of you. Thank you, and you are forgiven. Yes, and great callers, great callers. I love those guys with the movies. They were so funny. They were. Um, I'm calling to make just one quick suggestion that I find very helpful, because I think we all tend to get that somewhat. And uh, I was unfortunately in rehab this summer twice, first time in my life, and I'm in my mid-60s. But I had a few terrible things happen, so I used alcohol. But one of the things I found beneficial from the program was this slogan, um, the opposite of addiction is connection. So the opposite, really, of depression is also connection, I think. And there's many, many ways, you know, to connect. There's so many people that need help. And then you could go through your, you know, libraries, your your, your places of worship, and find other people that have common interests. And there's so many people that need friends and so many people that need to be connected. We're starving of loneliness in a way out there. And I just wanted to make that connection. Uh, that's a great point. That's uh, a great point, Deborah. Thank you. And uh, in fact, a caller called and she gave me her number and she was talking about her. Her husband had died and she was feeling very lonely. And I want to connect my Aunt Camille with her because my Aunt Camille, who's great, I'm going to see her today to pick up some egg salad. Uh, she said she would be willing to talk to this woman and you know maybe befriend this woman, but we can't find her number. Molly and I are going to redouble our efforts to find her number again. If she's listening now, though, try and try and you know, call back at 800-848-9222. Meantime, though, it is time for... 
other side of midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. 800-848-9222. Be heard for 15 seconds like Frankie in Glendale. Hello. I feel sorry for all those people who died in the Bronx fire. The most important thing is people, and nobody's asking this question, where were the smoke detectors? Were they disconnected? Patrick in Huntington. Feel good movie, Frank, especially for fathers with young sons. Uh, Finding Bobby Fisher. Searching for Bobby Fisher. Neil in Staten Island. Take my advice. If you live in a house or an apartment, make sure you have a fire extinguisher rated A, B, C, handy on every floor. Chris in Bethpage. Great John Wayne movie. I don't know if you mentioned it. The Cowboys around 1970. I don't think I've seen that, actually, believe it or not. Fred in Yonkers. Hey, Frank, several years ago, I go into a radio shack. And there's two guys behind the counter. One guy's six foot seven, and the other guy's five foot three. So I said, okay, I get it. Long ways and short ways. <laughs> Glory dories. Roger in Massachusetts. Yeah, I hear that 90% of the plastic that winds up in the oceans comes from 10 rivers in the world. Uh, eight in Asia and two in Africa. So maybe we should just recycle those little bottles instead of the heavy-handed fines. Raji in Manhattan. Indeed, Kamala Harris's mother, a Caucasian from India. Her father, half African Jamaican, half Irish. Therefore, Kamala is a generously tanned three-fourths Caucasian, not African American. Thank you. Billy in the Boogie Down Bronx. Says the moron, says the moron. Anthony in Edison. Yes, good morning. If a lot of people are being victimized and killed and, and, and terrorized by these criminals that aren't prosecuted by these DAs, it's time for the families of the victims to start suing, suing and, and bringing this all to light. And finally, Al in Manhattan. Hey, to Bernard McGurk, always remember, you're braver than you believe, stronger than you seem, smarter than you think, and love more than you'll ever know. Never, never give up, Bernie. Thank you, Al. Well said, well said. Uh, I, uh, ec- it was great to hear Bernie on the uh, radio again yesterday with, uh, with Sid, and I'm certainly glad he's back and wishing him the best. I, uh, I, just, I sent Bernie a whole bunch of books from one of my favorite historians yesterday because I know he's a history lover that uh, to the extent that he has to be home convalescing, I'm hoping he gets some benefit out of these books. It's uh, really some, some great stuff here. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I join you in wishing Bernie the, uh, the best in terms of a speedy recovery, and I'm sure he'll be, there'll be a lot of people keeping him in their prayers as he battles his uh, health issues. Meantime, the 77 WABC Early News is next. A ton of breaking news in the last 12 hours. You have this um, cop shot in the Bronx. You can bet they're going to be giving you the latest on that. And the Attorney General, Letitia James, filing this uh, report against the Trump family in court in which she says she needs to question under oath the Trump's and that they were essentially involved in fraudulent or misleading business practices. Heady stuff. Well, uh, Bernie had said coming up at 6, and uh, I'll be back at 1 a.m. tomorrow. Frank Morano, good day.